If you are not getting detailed blood work done, preferably every six months, but at least every year, you may be leaving one of the most valuable biohacks and ways of gaining an insight into what's going on inside of our body and our biology and the health thereof on the table. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out five or so very important markers and where you want to be on your blood test. And I'm going to share with you a way to get your next blood test 25% off. So the first is MCV or mean cell volume. This has to do with the size of our cells. Generally speaking, when we are more inflamed or older, we see the volume of cells go up. An MCV that is pretty healthy would be in the low 80s, like an 83, 84. And when we start getting into the high 90s, 96, 97, that correlates with uh, levels of in, high levels of inflammation in the body and accelerated cellular aging. The second is vitamin D, specifically from sunlight. We can all boost our vitamin D by taking high amounts of supplemental vitamin D, but to really get the the, the, the photonic energy that comes from the sun and all of the mitochondrial and, and um, thermoregulatory benefits thereof, you want to have your vitamin D between 50 and 70 or even higher, but getting it from sunlight rather than supplements. Now, if you can't get there because you're not willing to make the lifestyle changes, you're not in a position to for whatever reason, then you can use a high UVB tanning bed or in some cases supplementation in order to do so. The next is a marker for immune health, and this is your neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio. You want that to be about one to one. So if that neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio is off, it could be a sign that your immune system is struggling or at least in need of a little bit of help. Um, ALT is when it's elevated, it can be an early warning sign of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So we like to see our ALT under 24. And if it's too much higher than that, there are ways to take care of your liver via milk, thistle, coffee enemas, etc. The last couple, uh, high, sensitiv high sensitivity C-reactive protein or HSCRP. You want that under 0.5. For men, you want testosterone, preferably definitely over 600, but preferably over 800 nanograms per deciliter. You want your free testosterone, which is also uh, important, over 20 PG per ml. And you want your ferritin in that 60 to 80 range. Now, obviously, the testosterone and free testosterone doesn't apply to women, but just about all of the others do. And if you guys have not had blood work done in the past six months, the easiest way for you to do that and save 25% is by going to insidetracker.com forward slash Anthony. We've set up an awesome 25% discount for you. That's at I-N-S-I-D-E-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.com forward slash Anthony. I'm a big fan of their ultimate plan that comes with all of the bells and whistles. And what makes Inside Tracker really cool is they give you personalized recommendations for gut health, overall health, injury prevention and recovery, building endurance, lowering stress. And it's super simple. You basically, in a few steps, step one, you purchase your Inside Tracker plan by going to insidetracker.com forward slash Anthony. Uh, you get your blood draw. 
<clears throat> then you get your results and then you get your personalized recommendations and you have it all in one place. You can track your improvements over time. And if at some point in the future you decide you want to work with someone like myself, you'll already have uh, valuable data points that we can apply to give you even more personalized recommendations. So if you guys want to take advantage of that 25% off and get some of those insights into what's going on in your body and biology, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Anthony, select their ultimate plan or any of the offerings at the insidetracker.com forward slash Anthony website and enjoy. This is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are breakfast. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Mr. John Gray, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. I'm so happy to be with you. Uh, you know, people know me as the relationship expert, author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, but actually I'm the uh, biohacker, you know, and you can use relationships to biohack, but also nutritional supplements and meditation and exercise, all these things require optimal brain function. And so that's what I'm about is really optimal brain function, which means creativity, love, focus, energy, anti-aging and the whole gang. I love it. I love it. You know, your book was on my mom's bookshelf. I remember being a kid and uh, picking it up. You know, my my dad's Italian, my mom's Greek. They obviously clash as 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 Mediterraneans from similar but different parts of the world. And uh, you know, she she loved your book growing up, and it gave her a lot of insights into their similarities and differences. And I just wanted to thank you as we're kind of diving in here for the work that you've done as one of the original gangsters of biohacking and figuring out how we can get as much juice as possible out of uh, our time, you know, here on this planet. So thank you for, for everything that you've done. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, my biohacking started when, uh, you know, I've always been in interested and motivated, committed to optimal functioning in life, spiritual growth, uh, you know, after Woodstock as I've, I'm a child of the sixties, a hippie, and we got high, in, which is biohacking as well. Yeah. We got high on psilocybin mushrooms. And I went really, really high, uh, one with the universe, one with God, the whole shebang, and then crashed <laughs> after three days of rock and roll, sex, and the whole shebang. <laughs> and it's I mean, really, to happen. <laughs> it, it was, <laughs> I really went, really went down. And I remember Cream had a song. I think it was Cream or one of those, um, one of those bands. I uh, had a song, Can't Find My Way Home. And I was just like, can't find my way home. And home was where I was when I was uh, high on on all those uh, natural supplements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah I'm yeah, i actually microdosing a little psilocybin right now. So oh, we have- It's the we, best. It's such yeah. good stuff. So yeah. anyway, we, we I crashed and my mother noticed a poster in my hippie bedroom with black lights and the whole gang. Uh, I don't know, a whole gang, I'm saying a lot. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, the, the, the Beatles, uh, you know, I had Jimi Hendrix and the whole, everybody. But the Beatles were sitting next to this Indian guru. Mm -hmm. And my mother said, who's that? I said, I don't know. No, it's about it. And then a few, she was like admiring the guru because she, unbeknownst to me, 
you know, she was this highly spiritual person, you know, after the kids grew up, she had the Aquarian Age bookstore uh, providing all these uh, esoteric books for everybody from her own library. My dad taught me yoga as a kid. Uh, so I had unusual parents in Houston, Texas, I'll tell you that. However, uh, she was like, had this positive experience of, of meditation of the guru. And then two days later, uh, I was into karate, you know, uh, uh, Anyway, a form of karate at the time. Aikido? And, uh, no, it was uh, Okinawa, Okinawan karate. And, okay. uh, you know, I was in magazines even. I was a karate kid at 13 because I was so dedicated. So my life is about dedication. Yeah. Then uh, a friend said there was a samurai warrior demonstration. So I said, okay, I want to go. It turned out to be a seminar on transcendental meditation in mm. 1968. Wow. <laughs> and... I didn't know anything about meditation. I heard that talk and it it like spoke to my heart. It was written inside of me. I went home two hours late. My dad thought I was taking drugs. And, and I said, no, no, I went to this talk. He didn't believe me. He said, tell me what you learned. I gave the exact talk. I could say it today. It was like it was already written in my heart. This was destiny. I learned transcendental meditation. I got really high on it. I became the personal assistant. I took every one of his courses for three years. I've taken more courses from him than anybody on the planet. And then I became his personal assistant. I lived with him for nine years as his personal assistant as a celibate Hindu monk. Wow. Uh, and, and that was the beginning of biohacking. I'll tell you, uh, there's nothing more powerful than discipline and celibacy, not masturbating. Now, that's another thing. We'll get to talking about that because I love sex now, too. <laughs> but <laughs> when, when you, you've got the life force and if you have sex with somebody who doesn't send that energy back to you, it's proven your testosterone levels go down 50%. If you want to keep them up, and I'm 70 years old, and mine are 50% higher than any other time in my life. When I was a young guy, you know, it was I'm 50% higher. And I, I live like a young guy. I know how to have sex like a young guy who's been educated on how to, I can have sex. Well, that's a big part of biohacking is learning how to... Uh, transform your energy inside, sublimate the energy in sex so you're not always ejaculating when you have sex. That's the ultimate biohack. Uh, you know, there's other things before we get to that, but that is really where it's at, where you have no attachment to that release. And by practicing skills, you actually go to a higher level of orgasmic ecstasy, which is amazing. And it takes many years to master, you know, there's some books out there on it, which is People try it and they give up because they can't do it because it takes years to master. The foundation of it for me was nine years of pure celibacy, didn't masturbate at all for nine years. <laughs> and I had lots of masturbation and sex before I became a monk, I'll tell you. <laughs> but what happens is that the energy goes up into your brain and gives you this creative force, it's power. Then, uh, you know, I became so successful as relationship expert because, you know, I've written 28 books. I can sit down in 30 days and write a whole book because of the brain power that that gave me. So that's the foundation of it. But too much excitement, you know, in the 90s, I was like in every magazine, 18 Oprah shows, my own Broadway show, my own network TV show. I was getting so much acclaim that overstimulated my brain, the dopamine levels. You know, I was just happy all the time. I remember one day thinking, what a beautiful day it is. And it was like, it was like uh, cloudy. <laughs> and my daughter looked at me, dad, it's a terrible day. And I realized I was generating so much of these brain chemicals on my own that I didn't even depend on the outer world, which is actually a state of imbalance. We need to be independent and dependent at the same time. 
So anyway, all that stimulation, overstimulation of dopamine was kind of like a cocaine life for a while. And it desensitized dopamine receptor sites. So at 50 years old, I became uh, early stage Parkinson's. And so I had to study, you know, what's this all about? Because in my family, it runs, you know, my sister died of uh, uh, dementia. At, at she, my younger sister, when she was 60. So this is Alzheimer's. Sorry. It was terrible. And, you know, all this brain issues and a relative died of Parkinson's. It's a horrible death, but you treat it with these medicines that take away symptoms, but the condition just gets worse and worse. As we all know, mm -hmm. as biohackers taking these medicines often just cut the symptoms out, but the bio, but the condition gets worse and worse. So I knew I didn't want to take any of the medications. Later on, I discovered that the Parkinson's medications actually degenerate the brain. Uh, they inhibit the function of B6 in the brain and all of your brain chemicals need B6 to happen. So they even say you can't even take B6 when you take those. So it's, it's, it just, uh, I knew I didn't want to go that way. So I studied it. And so if you look at Parkinson's, one of the symptoms I had, is, and this is an early symptom, is that when you focus, your, your body begins to shake. Okay, so if I, watch, if I was watching a TV program, for example, or watching a movie, my mind's focused, right? It takes dopamine to focus. And then my brain will start going like this, and I don't even know it. My wife would point it out to me, and that was scary. Uh, and what that means is, see, it takes dopamine to control your muscles. So you have involuntary muscle movement, which is why you'll see people shaking or they walk real slow. They're thinking after a while stops, they can't focus because that takes dopamine. So what happens if you're a cocaine addict and you take a drug to dope, highly stimulate dopamine, you feel great, you feel alive, you know, that's aliveness. Uh, but they've tested the brain and one dose of cocaine, you lose 30% of the sensitivity of your brain to dopamine which means in order to feel alive doing anything in your life, you need 30 times, you need more stimulation than normal. So your ability to experience aliveness is decreased 30% after one shot of cocaine. Now, every time it doesn't keep doing it, it just creates a dependence on cocaine to make you feel actually after a while just to feel normal, which is wow. why we have all those painkiller addictions. Just to survive, uh, people have to take it and it doesn't even make them high anymore. That's mm -hmm. called the desensitizing of brain neurons. Now, mm -hmm. let me explain that for people. I know a lot of you brain hackers already understand this, but not everybody gets it. It's a little, takes an extra little understanding. So think about uh, my pupils in my eyes. If I go into the bright sun, what's gonna happen to my pupils? They're gonna go like that. Mm -hmm. That's bright sun is a lot of light, a lot of stimulation, too much stimulation, they'll close down. Now mm -hmm. to open them up again, I need to go, I go into the dark and I open my eyes, I can't see anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that dark, but I have to go into low stimulation and those pupils will open up again. Mm -hmm. And now you start seeing stuff in the dark. Then you go back outside to the high stimulation, they'll close up again. So that's the way the brain works. If you have too much, the ability to use that becomes less and less. It's always trying to compensate and normalize. So. If you take that cocaine, you lose 30% of your ability to be happy in present time without co cocaine. But by being in low stimulation for a while, your receptor sites will open up and that's called recovery. You know, that's how you, you go through withdrawals. And ironically, uh, if, you're, if you're an alcoholic and you're going through withdrawals, often your body starts to involuntarily shake. 
So then I got the idea, well, let me find the best rehab programs for alcoholism or cocaine addiction. <laughs> so I went down <laughs> to Mexico to a uh, holistic um, doctor. He's gone now. Uh, he was like 90 then and very vibrant. He had an IV drip that he would do for, for cocaine addicts, alcoholics, any addiction you have, he could give you an IV drip. And in nine days, actually it happened in seven days, you'd, have, you'd be off of your addiction. You didn't have that addiction anymore. Was, was it uh, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, NAD? NADH, NADH. It was NADH. Yeah. Cool. And he was put along with, along with uh, amino acids. There was phenylalanine. There was tryptophan. tryptophan there was uh, tyrosine. Tyrosine, uh, phenylalanine, tryptophan, B vitamins, basically the stuff you need to make dopamine in your brain. But the mm -hmm. real secret ingredient was also NADH. And so you, you got to give your brain what it requires because as soon as you have any addiction, and that could be addiction to masturbation even, most people don't know they're addicted to masturbation. They just mm -hmm. think they're men. <laughs> yeah, right. I just have a high libido. I just, I just need to uh, de-stress to decompress a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the ultimate addiction is masturbation. This is why, mm -hmm. you know, this was the whole yogic path was if you want the yogic powers, which I have, you know, this is not, not everybody gets it. This is 50 year meditator, but these are the yogic powers. Do you want to hear about Anthony? I sure do. <laughs> They're so cool because <laughs> I was raised on Yogananda, uh, you know, all those books, Ramana Maharshi. My mother had this esoteric library. I just thought it was like normal stuff, but I didn't know how to meditate, but I learned through meditate TM. And that was a, a beginning technique, a really good one, but it is a beginner's technique. Uh, I teach in my other classes, special classes to get to higher levels. You know, a lot of guys are, uh, if you're a brain hacker and you do regular meditation for some men and women, it's boring. They just get bored. And why they get bored is primarily because it's a beginner's technique. Imagine you, you, you know, you're a grown adult and you're learning addition over and over and over. You're just doing mantra, 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 mantra. There's a place on that learning curve where it's ecstatic, but then at a certain point, it just becomes flat. Because mm -hmm. you got to know the higher levels and the higher levels is to develop these cities. And so one of the here's one of the cities which I have, which is just fantastic. And I'm just saying this because it's nice to have motivation and know where to go. Because I remember for nine years as a celibate, I could sit and meditate 18 hours and I was in ecstasy, but I never developed these cities because I didn't know the higher levels. Uh, I just sort of stayed at the same place. But you got to switch up your techniques. But anyway. So one technique is when I walk, I can shrink in my consciousness and everything is giant. So I feel really little and these tree, trees that are bigger than me are magnificent. And I live in Mill Valley, which has redwood trees anyway, but I can, I can shift my consciousness and suddenly I feel like I'm walking through the Grand Canyon. Everything is awe inspiring. Just like if you look at a, you're lying in bed with somebody you love and you're totally attracted to them and you look at a naked woman's body right next to you, you're just in awe. You know, this is like, how did God create such a beautiful thing? You know, so when you're little, everything is awesome. And you also experience uh, something which really is important for people is a grounding in humility, a littleness, you know, because like for me, there's, there's so much I don't know. The more you know, the more you don't know. And that's, a, that's the, when, you, when you're true to yourself and you don't get caught up in the grandiosity of having more than other people. So that's a really good one. 
the other good good way to get there is, of course, get married. Your wife will always make you feel humble. <laughs> That's their job. Body <laughs> uses that you're so arrogant. You're so arrogant. I said, but it's true, you know. <laughs> and she said, I can't stand. But it. I wrote all these books. I don't care. <laughs> Look what I've done. Look who I am. You know. <laughs> Are you listening to these people? You, you talk to Oprah. <laughs> Anyway, I learned to be more humble, even social occasions. She says, you can't talk the whole time, John. Other people need to talk too. But everybody asks me questions. I'm interesting, you know. So I learned <laughs> how to be a social person as well and, and, you know, listen to other people and interact and so forth. But when I teach, I get to talk 10 hours, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah. For days, I can go on. I mean, I've accumulated 28 books here on all sorts of ultimate experiences in life personal development and brain hacking, focusing on nutrition is a big part of that. And that's what saved me from the Parkinson's, understanding the whole dynamic, taking the supplements, but also understanding other aspects of putting it into practice. So anyway, the powers, I just fun to talk about it because I'm enjoying them so much. So I walk in nature, I shift my consciousness. And now I'm, as I shrink down like this little being and looking up at the, at the magnificent of the universe. Then another one is where... <laughs> where you can suddenly shift your consciousness and now you feel like you're a giant. Now, I'm not the only person with these experiences. If you remember the, the book, Gulliver's Travels, that was his, he was talking about his experiences, you know, in a, in a story where one, he came in, he was really little. And another one, he was like giant. And so I could like suddenly feel like I'm like a huge, you know, and this is really nice. Uh, it improved my posture dramatically once I learned to do that because I was usually like this as when I was meditating, even as a little boy I used to meditate, I didn't know it and I'd hunch over like that. That energy going down is the shrinking one. So I was always shrinking, but then I learned just by shifting my consciousness to become huge and my chest opened up, my higher consciousness, I, I became big. And when you're big, <laughs> you can take more into your life. You know, people always ask me, okay, what's the secret of your marketing? Ex ex you know, you've, You've sold over 100 million books, okay? You know, how did you do all this? Wow, congratulations. And thank you, thank you. And, you know, I go for a walk in the in the Grand Canyon here, the, my woods with my buddy Warren, who's also a writer. I wrote this book, uh, Boy Crisis, with him, which is also about brain hacking, half the book for boys. But then the, but the, the dynamic there is, he'll say, I say, you know, he, what did I say? I talk about people say I work so hard to achieve all this. And I'm the I'm the laziest, easygoing guy there is because I enjoy everything. It feels like I don't work at all. And he says, John, you're the hardest working person I've ever seen. But you see, it's all mindset. But when you have this big consciousness, you can just draw in more things to you. People just want to come listen to me. People want to read my books. People come offer me opportunities. It's just pick. I never go out to do anything, but I do respond. And, and, but you have to have a consciousness that says, yeah, I deserve it. I deserve it. I remember I was this yogi and I was 20, I was celibate up to about 28 years old. And that is your Saturn return for those that know astrology. That's when you shift into finding your real direction and purpose in life. Mm. Before that, it's just personal growth, guys. Just don't worry about your big purpose in life. Find yourself and it will just come out. You, you'll be surprised by it. I mean, mine, I was a, a famous meditation teacher. And then I became a sex teacher. How does that happen? <laughs> well, I told people when I started teaching my classes on sex, I said, if you've been celibate for nine years, it's all you think about. 
<laughs> I haven't been celibate and it's all I think about. That's right. So anyway, I so when I started having sex again, because I'd been a monk and I was famous in the TM Transcendental Meditation Organization, and now I was out in the world. I wasn't right with Mauricio all the time. They, they even had my poster up and they all the 3600 TM centers had my name and my name, my poster. They didn't actually have my name. They just had my face and my brain function. And but everybody knew me. I was like this amazing TM guy because I had good TM meditation experiences. So now I was no longer celibate and I was traveling around visiting all these women I knew in the TM movement. And I said, well, now I'm having sex. But, you know, I've been a monk for nine years. Would you teach me how, what makes you feel good during sex? <laughs> and so all these women were telling me all about what made them feel good. And I would explore their clitoris. You know, I learned about the G spot and how much they like to have their nipples stimulated and, you know, the erogenous zones in their bodies. And women were all, you know, different in certain ways and similar in certain ways. And I learned so much to satisfy women in the bedroom. Then I said, okay, I'll create workshops around this. And all, all I did is said, hey, come on in, everybody. We're going to talk about what makes sex great. And what, one of the surprising things to women, and I would have never thought it was surprising to women, was that men would say, okay, their best sexual experience was giving her amazing orgasm or orgasms. And the women thought, you know, her happiness made it the best experience for him. They didn't get that at all. Because in their mind, they go, if you want me to be really happy in sex, why is it that you don't take the time to make me happy? And the reason is because men and women are different. We don't instinctively understand what the other person needs. And that sex class then gave birth to my coming along saying men and women are different because at the time, and it's still happening even worse today, the universities are trying to say that men and women are not different. They're saying this is all make-believe. And it's, it's make-believe to think that we're the same, but they're saying it's make-believe to think that we are different. And that the truth is we're on the same page and that I want equality just like they want equality. But it's not that difficult of a concept to get. Equality does not mean sameness. Right. You know, the same people that say we want to be inclusive are saying that there's no difference between men and women, but everybody's different. But there's huge differences between men and women. And just to help everybody focus, because this is the number one brain hack I focus on if I'm not looking at just nutrition. And that's hormones. Hormones. If you want, if you want to function from your higher center right here, your pineal gland, your prefrontal cortex. Okay, we know this is biological fact. There's few facts in biology. I mean, in life, you know, but biology, you sort of see it. And I always say to the feminists, I say, wait a second, how can you say men and women are not different? Any doctor today knows that a medicine that works for a man does not work for a woman. <laughs> they know there's different treatments for women than for men because we are so biologically different. And we're all talking about mind, body, and by harmonizing mind as one with body, now we can bring spirit into the body. And ultimately, mm -hmm. it's through love and sex that we bring spirit into the body. That's where it comes all the way down into the body. But we got to have, you know, the dynamics of, of hijacking, hi, uh, <laughs> hijacking the brain so that the, the automatic conditioning in the brain does not control us. So there's only one place where you can be in control of yourself. You think you're in control of yourself. Nobody is. Uh, we have so many automatic reactions who we think we are. You know, like I used to think I was a shy guy. I'm not a shy guy, but I just told myself that. But I was afraid mm -hmm. deep, deep in my unconscious. I was afraid of being rejected. So, you right. know, there's so much in our unconscious that we can brain hack and so forth. But the, the, the focus here 
is that we want to come back to this part of us, which through meditation, we awaken, but we have to integrate through our emotions. We have to integrate into the body through our hormones. So mm-hmm. when you're in a state of prefrontal cortex function, blood flow is literally going to the prefrontal cortex. Your body is not making adrenaline or cortisol. Okay, your body's, you could be making some adrenaline, but you're not making cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone that most people are chronically producing too much cortisol. Mm-hmm. A lot of things can cause it, but whenever cortisol is being produced, blood flow diminishes to the pineal gland and the prefrontal cortex. So your mm-hmm. connection to your higher self, to your spiritual, whatever, your higher potential, it's, it's gone. And so mm-hmm. all you're going to do is just repeat. And you actually, it goes, the more cortisol gets produced, the more out of control you are from your higher wisdom and the more controlled you are by your automatic conditioning that started. Okay. Get this. I mean, my nose is my father's nose. My eyes are my mother's, you know, our physically, we are our parents. Okay. Mm -hmm. And mentally we are our parents, whether we know it or not for the first seven years of life, the, our brain is producing theta frequencies. The state of frequencies are the frequencies the brain produces when you're in a deep state of hypnosis or when you're in deep sleep, not deep sleep, when you're in dream state. So children are like in a dream state and they're in a state of hypnosis where they're absorbing everything in their parents or their primary caretakers. They're just sucking it in. So you've got genetic transference and you've also just got the theta transference of taking in these automatic patterns of what you like, how you behave, how you walk, how you react and what things bother you, what things don't bother you, what you suppress, what you express. All of this is pre-programmed into us from our parents' programming, where they get it from their parents to their parents, back to monkeys. Mm -hmm. So probably everybody's had this experience. Imagine you're a monkey, similar to a monkey. Somebody steps on your foot. That's a metaphor for not getting what you want, right? So somebody steps on your foot and you're a monkey. So you don't have this prefrontal cortex that allows you to communicate with words. Okay. You can't do that. You can just make sounds. So you step on my foot and I go, ow. And then you step on my foot again. I go, ow, ow. And you step on my foot again. I go, ow, ow, ow. This is like what we all do. We raise our voice to communicate our suffering and our pain. All right. We raise our voice. So two things are happening there. One is that yelling is the worst communication skill ever. And two, if we're in our monkey brain, we're using yelling, the worst communication skill, we're using anger or hurt or victimness to get what we want. Whenever you use negative emotions to get what you want, you're actually growing massive neural pathways in your brain that say, if I want more, I need to have negative emotions. And so as you age, people start having just these automatic negative thoughts, automatic negative reactions. And their only way of doing it is being victims and announcing to everybody over and over they're victims, or they learn to repress all that negativity because who wants to be negative? And they lose their aliveness. They literally are producing, in order to repress negative emotions, your brain has to make cortisol all the time. And what is, see, cortisol keeps you from your higher intelligence. I want to say it again. So people don't know this stuff. This is like amazing stuff I've gathered over 50 years to put all this together. But what was it? Uh, One health expert was explaining to me about one of the other functions most people don't know about cortisol. Let's say you're in danger and you're a soldier and you're fighting 
and your buddy over here just got killed. Okay. So, and now you're, you have huge fear. I could get killed too. Right. And what does fear do? It stops us. So the in danger, the brain produces a lot of cortisol so that we immediately disconnect from what just happened. We repress any feelings we have. We detach and continue to have courage to go into battle. Now, I experienced that once, like uh, it was so dramatic. I was going along in my BMW 540 at the time. It was at the time was the fastest four door on the planet. I like fast cars. So uh, <laughs> now I have a race car. OK, so oh, <laughs> what kind do you have? Well, it's a uh, luxury race car. It's the um, 2021 Bentley convertible. <laughs> it's it's got nice. it's, it's supercharged. It goes 204 miles an hour. It goes to 60 in three seconds. I love it. Yeah. So it's, nice, it's very cool. Nice. So, by the way, for men, if you can afford it, a fast car. If ever you're in a bad mood, just go safely drive fast, and it will it will put you in an adrenaline mode. If you go too fast, it will put you in cortisol. But if you go into adrenaline mode and you drive, you'll actually get you out of the cortisol mode, okay? Because the cortisol, you know, one of the things about cortisol is this backup system in the body, interesting changes that happen. One of the interesting changes with cortisol, besides not being able to function from choice, you go into automatic instinctive reactions. That way you cannot, you don't have to think, your body knows what to do when you're in danger, run or fight, whatever it is, that's the primitive brain, it's already been programmed. So you go out of, out of choice, into automatic instincts when you're in big danger. And literally on the body, what will happen is that when you're in cortisol, your, um, your blood becomes thicker. That's how you know you're having a heart problem you're, as your blood becomes thicker. And the reason your blood becomes thicker is it's your body's actually anticipating being bitten and losing blood and already wants to slow down the ability of blood to go out of your body. It also mm -hmm. stops digestion if you're in cortisol mm -hmm. state because your body says, we need to put all of our energy into our muscles to run, to mm -hmm. get out of there. And if you're a woman, it says, put all your, all your energy into emotions mm -hmm. to try to get somebody to feel sorry for you, help you. It's amazing, our reactions, uh, it's so, so amazing. Mm -hmm. So your digestion shuts down and your immune system shuts down. These are all your healing systems in order to escape in danger, which is why people have so many gut problems today, so mm -hmm. much indigestion, and ultimately with ADD and Parkinson's, and ADD is just a precursor to Parkinson's, the same problem. It is inhibited dopamine function. It is inhibited dopamine function. And there's, in my book on ADD, I talk about, you know, so many different symptoms of ADHD because it's only some people become hyperactive. Other people become, uh, inability to finish things. Okay, they're mm -hmm. always starting things. <laughs> and, good starter, and poor finisher. Good start. They can never finish stuff, and so they start something, and then they to finish, they procrastinate. Mm -hmm. So what happens is they never finish. They're procrastinating, putting until it until it gets to the last minute where you're gonna some bad bad things gonna happen unless you take action. The last minute people, and then that produces so much dopamine. It's the last minute something bad's gonna happen. I'll take action. So, yeah. so, and other people are like hyper controlling. They want safety all the time. They need security all the time. And so their brain becomes always focused on what, what bad thing could happen. And then add to that using negative emotions to get what you want. Oh my God, the brain is just living in negative emotions all the time or trying to suppress negative emotions and suppressing negative emotion actually creates cortisol as well. Cause the brain literally with cortisol uh, severs the connection 
between past events and what's happening now. It frees you from your 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 history, so to speak, temporarily. And that's what people do. They eat all they another thing they can do is uh, to avoid their emotions and feelings. They can uh, eat a lot of food and then the Mm -hmm. energy it would take to remember stuff and be upset gets used up by eating, uh, Mm -hmm. digesting the food. We have all these addictions in our life basically to avoid feeling what we feel. But the ultimate brain hack is being able to be conscious enough that whatever you feel inside is not about what's happening in present time. Whatever you feel inside is not about, if it's negative, if it's causing any discomfort to you at all, Mm -hmm. it's not about what's happening in present time. This is advanced knowledge. Everybody's saying, be present, be present, be present. That's pretty boring technique after a while. Here's the challenge. The advanced technique here is know that whenever you have any negative emotion, you're not being present. And being present would be to embrace that emotion fully Mm-hmm. And recognize at the same time that it's not about what's happening now. It's a complete mm-hmm. overreaction. It's everything Freud talked about, which mm-hmm. is you're either projecting, you're not looking at your own thing, you're throwing it on somebody else, or you're 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 basically displacing something over here that's upsetting you and putting it here. So the unhappy woman in her life puts all her unhappiness on her husband. Mm-hmm. Or, or, and her husband won't listen, so she puts it on her children. Whatever. <laughs> it's and then you kick the dog, that whole thing. Yeah. So the unhappy man, he's not going to be happy with his partner. And then you start seeing that it's not just displacing feelings in present time, like what happened yesterday or what happened today or what happened in your last relationship, bringing that into this relationship, creating fear and negativity. And a bias towards seeing, see, when you're in cortisol state, your brain is only looking for negativity mm-hmm. and all it can see. Can't see positivity, can't see potential. It's conditioned right. response, a 10 times bias towards negativity. And mm-hmm. let me give you that experience. And maybe not always exactly 10 times. Uh, that's not scientific, but that is, they, we know there's a huge bias towards negativity, depending upon how stressed you are. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were going to buy my house, first of all, if you were to visit my house, it's a very cool I, I don't house. know if I could afford your house, John. Definitely not right now. Keep, your, <laughs> keep opening up, biohacking your brain, suck right. it in. I'll tell you, here I was, this monk, for nine years, right? And around that time, I was uh, I was talking to my dad about how happy and how happy and fulfilled I am. And he said to me, he said, well, John, you you have all these things because I'm supporting you in being this monk. <laughs> I'm paying your bills. And I said, no, dad, that's not it. I'm in a state of higher consciousness. I know I deserve it. And because I know I deserve it, it comes to me. And he said, well, actually, it's because I give it to you. <laughs> he said, I said, no, I deserve it. Now, of course, that was really silly of me. But at the same time, that is the truth. You have to feel worthy and worthiness this is a huge psychological insight. Most people don't know how unconsciously they feel unworthy. And how you know that is if ever you take anything personally, if anybody can upset you, somebody shoot you the finger and you get upset with them, you get upset back, right? Mm-hmm. If you get upset back, then you just took it personally. If you take something personally, literally, it's only because they said they gave you a message, a negative message. And there's some part of you that says you deserve that. And now you're at war with yourself. See, part of you goes into agreement. If See, for me, somebody shoots me the finger, I just look at them and smile. I go, have a good day. <laughs> Feel a little compassion for that person. Why, why does what they do have to affect me, particularly as a stranger? You know, The real test is when your partner that you're having sex with gives you the look. 
and you know they stare at you how disappointed they are with you or how how could you forget and i'm the guy that bought this house did all this stuff and i'm 10 minutes late for dinner and i'm getting this look all right <laughs> how do you not take that personally it's not about me it's about her day it's about her insecurities and so what i need to do is not react and be upset with her but instead understand why she's upset feel some of her emotional pain this is powerful that's called compassion Feel her pain. Don't try to change her. And she'll come out of it. It releases. I learned this as a therapist. Women would come in, always complaining about their husbands, asking me, what do I do to change him? And I know anything you do to try to change a man does not work. But you can't tell them that right away. So what I would do is say, well, I need to understand more, more deeply what you feel and what you think and what happened. And I'd get them to get in touch with their emotions. Then I give them the experience of their emotions. Most women are just stuck in their head. They, they feel, I feel like you don't love me. I feel like I can't get what I want. I feel like this, this, this. I feel like stuff is like 13-year-old girl stuff. That women talk about how emotional, how, how in touch they are with their feelings. They're not. They're in touch with their mind. They're stuck in their mind and what they feel they think as opposed to their emotions. That's bringing the spirit into the body is feeling the emotions. And when you feel those emotions, if they're negative, it means they're not about right now because right now is fine. Mm -hmm. And right now is fine as far as how your well-being is. Why should I suffer because somebody shot me the finger? Why should I suffer? I've been ripped off of $3 million in two different fraud cases. Mm -hmm. That upset me, but because I have this knowledge, I did get upset. I embraced that upset. It took a while. And I was able to bring that back to where did my, where does all this strong feeling of fear come from when I'm quite capable, man, back to when I'm a little boy. See, little boys don't have fully developed brains. Mm -hmm. So bad things happen. We think they're always going to happen. You lose something, you're never going to get it back. So that's where all this fear comes from is this primitive brain that was formed early on and had different traumatic experiences to various degrees. We all have them. Any kid goes through stuff. We just forget it all because it goes in the unconscious and we live in a state of somewhat chronic stress in order to keep it down. So what we do, if we're seeking spirituality and growth, and most that's really why we're on this planet, we'll naturally be drawn to situations and do stupid stuff so that we end up feeling betrayed. We feel rejected. We have these things happen to us. So whether you believe you, you attracted it or you were attracted to it, which I fully believe, just get that if something upsets you, that does not have the power to hold you in that upset. You have the power to let go of that upset. And that's the ultimate brain hack, which is being able to let go of anything that's bothering you. You know, I did 18 shows with Oprah. I taught her meditation back in the 90s. I was her coach and all this stuff. Taught her course, taught her company for a five-day course, the whole company back in the early days. Now, in that situation, Oprah, I remember one time she said to me, she said, yeah, if you don't let go of upsets, it's giving other people rent in your brain <laughs> to punish you with a hammer. <laughs> that's what we're doing all the time. And that's, that's what monkeys do. We have the ability as human beings to reflect on anything that's upsetting us and realizing the real cause of that is not right now. Right now is just a trigger. And if you're listening and people are up into having soulmates, the soulmate is a person that excites your spirit. You feel this attraction to them because they have the perfect potential to push every button you've got. 
and help you overcome that button. And by doing that, finding love again. And when you find love for your partner, whatever qualities you're attracted to in your partner become awakened inside of you. So mm -hmm. it's through Bonnie, my wife of 32 years, that overcoming things that she would say or do that upset me and coming back to love without trying to change her. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're trying to change somebody to feel better, you're a monkey. If you change yourself to feel better, you're a soul, you're you're enlightened type person, you're ascending. That's what it's all about, is not being dependent on the outer world to change when we're not happy. You change yourself and then the outer world gradually changes. And if it doesn't change, so what? You're still happy and fulfilled, but the wisdom there is that you have the knowledge when you come from a place of heart space. Nobody's making me feel what I feel. They trigger me, you know, if you punch me, yeah, I'll get a bruise. But then if I tend to that bruise, it will heal. And that's this healing process. That's the brain hacking and the ability to look at whatever upsets us appears to be, it's an illusion. It appears to be due to, you said that, you didn't do that. I lost this. My sister died. My brother committed suicide. My father was murdered. My mother mm -hmm. died of an accident. All these horrible things happened. Took many months of grieving, but every time I went through it, it was like a wave and I'd feel better and better and better. This is how you have to acknowledge, this is the knowledge of growth and life. What happened is each time the pain of now, I recognize to be, okay, how does this relate to something in my past when I didn't have a brain that could fully understand? Mm. Now, for those that have lost somebody during this COVID time, it's devastating to lose somebody, particularly, I mean, for me, it was my wife, not from COVID, okay, she died of cancer. Uh, but I was so attached to her uh, that because all love and attachment is wonderful. You just have to have another part of you that's unattached, okay? So you mm -hmm. got the attachment on this level and you got this other part, which is not attached. Together, disattached. See, everybody thinks that not desiring is some enlightenment state. No, desire is I love it. I like it. I like this conversation. I like food. I like... I like sex, you know, I like love. I like all these things. I want to hold on to it, but simultaneously, I let it go. I let it go and let it go. Mm -hmm. But when you're feeling loved, you hold on to it tight. And then your partner doesn't love you that day. You have to let go of what you got before and be open to what you're going to get now. You have to be both together. That's the yin and the yang. It's the attachment and letting go. It's the flow of life. It's to be able to let things be present and let them constantly move. Mm -hmm. And anything which is negative, I'm emphasizing that as the ultimate biohack, don't act on it. Don't use it to change somebody because if you do, neurons that fire together, grow together, and suddenly your brain is always in a state when you're not feeling good, you don't have what you want, you're not getting what you need, your brain goes into looking at negativity mm -hmm. rather than positive potential. Now, if you were to wanna buy a house, if you, first of all, you came to my house, it's a cool house, it's a really nice house in a nice neighborhood on a mountain overlooks redwood trees <laughs> to go out to get this place. You know, this is like heaven takes a while to get there. So you get to this out. But if you wanted to buy my house and that's where you said, I don't know if I could afford it. And I said, keep your mind open. Possibilities <laughs> exist. The, the, uh, if you were wanted to buy it before you bought it, you go, wow, this is very cool. It looks great. Then you would actually hire someone to look at everything wrong with the house. That's what people do now. You hire, so you don't even look at your own thing. You hire someone to say, okay, how's the plumbing working? What are the bills? What's the heating bill? What's the electricity bill? Where are the leaks? Uh, where's the mold? You know, what is the, the cracks in the foundation? What about the heating plumps? How, uh, the, the, the heating 
pipes and so forth. All these things you have to test out and people go into the attic and they look at this stuff and then you have to repair all this stuff. It's a big deal. That's what people live in all the time. When you're in cortisol state, your brain only looks at negativity instead of being free of that, which is the state of optimism and potential. Now, when I say, you know, I, I'm a master at this. However, it doesn't mean things don't push my buttons. It just means the time to go from my buttons being pushed to feeling wonderful again is very short and very profound. And that every negative experience brings me more of my true, true nature, brings more of the incarnation of spirit into this body, makes your sex better and better makes everything better and better biologically. But sex is so important brain hack for men because we're losing every, here's the basic important hormonal brain hack. When your body is not making cortisol, what's being produced in your body is a harmonious balance of testosterone and estrogen and some other hormones as well, but I have to simplify it. Masculine hormones, are we call them testosterone. Why? Because men require to be in a balanced creative state or even a positive state. To be in a positive state, a man's testosterone needs to be 10 to 20 times higher than a woman. That's biology. There it is. You look at any depressed man and his testosterone will be low. Any happy man, it's going to be normal levels, which are generally speaking, 10 to 20 times higher than a woman's. So what does that mean? It means men need testosterone more than women. And certain things generate testosterone and certain things don't. So that's a whole study in itself. That's this book here, which is called Beyond Mars and Venus, because all you enlightened guys who are broad brain hacking, that means you're into spiritual growth, personal growth, potential. Anytime you're into potential, you're into self-actualization. Now, self-actualization was talked about by Maslow, and he talked about when your lower needs are pretty much you can satisfy them, then you get these higher needs. One is the need for intimacy, love, and sex. The other one is the need for independence and success. So you got both these two lower needs. And when you can pretty much get both of those together, when your potential is for both, then another need emerges, which is personal growth. So that becomes your real priority. But the foundation of that is love and sex and personal achievement. That's why we got to keep that foundation going. Mm-hmm. So that's why this is all important stuff. You're going to be in a cortisol state if you're this more enlightened guy who's listening to this show or woman, whatever. Is That means that your spirit has so integrated into your body that you now have access to both your male and female sides. You know, I grew up in the 60s, right? And so I grew up long hair. I'm hippie. Listen to rock and roll, get high on drugs, demonstrate for peace, would not go to Vietnam, the whole shebang. I'm all into how I look. You know, I got beads, long hair, I got boots, I'm cool. You know, that that's me as a fashion guy, right? And that's that's my female side. That's estrogen producing. Women need estrogen. They need 10 times more estrogen, otherwise a woman will be producing cortisol. Men need at least 10 times testosterone, otherwise he will be producing cortisol. So what produces testosterone? Shebang. For me, it was all those years as a monk. Okay, that's when you're alone, when you're independent, when you're not blaming anybody, we're 100% accountable for how you feel, what you think, and what you do. When you're like a samurai warrior, cool, calm, and collected, you're a master. See, empty mind, you're right there in the present. See, this is the ultimates of masculinity. So meditation is a way to produce testosterone for men if they work hard. You've got to work hard, use up your testosterone, then relax, empty your mind, 
and your testosterone comes back up or go for a drive in your car. Your testosterone will come back up. Go work out in the gym and then rest and relax. Your testosterone will come back up in the game. Go watch the news. That's the old thing about father knows best. <laughs> he would read the news every day. That's his cave. I talked about the man cave and men are from Mars. Now every man's got a man cave. The purpose of that is you go out and you use up your testosterone. Then you go to your man cave to rebuild your testosterone. Then you have sex with your wife or spend time with your family and you're loving and wonderful because your testosterone goes up. Now, when testosterone goes up, then your estrogen can come up to balance it. That's the balancing of the yang energy, the masculine energy with the yin energy, which is intimacy, love, or doing what you love to do, doing what you enjoy doing. But if you, if you get, so the, the male side of us is the independent side, right? Self-sufficiency. The female side of us as men, but also in women is depending when you're depending on others for something, when you're needing from others, estrogen goes up. Mm. Life is about the balance of independence and dependence. Life is about the balance of the masculine and the feminine side. Now, if I'm talking as Buddha, what Buddha said, teaching you meditate. Now meditate, you forget everything. You go into this altered state, right? You let go of all attachments, let them go, let them go, let them go. And then from that point of view, then you go to your female side and that's called compassion. Compassion is selfless. See, independence is selfless. It's like, it's not about me. I have what I need. I can give to you. Generosity is going to your female side. The uh, feeling somebody else's pain, you know, that was the big awakening for Buddha and the pathway for many pathways in Buddhism is feeling compassion. It's to feel someone else's pain and empathize with them. Don't feel sorry for them, by the way. That's a lower teaching. <laughs> Buddhism doesn't teach that because everything is grace. So you feel sorry for someone, you just reinforce their victimness, whereas you feel their pain, but know that they're learning their lessons, they're here, they'll get through it, everything's okay, but feel their pain. Mm -hmm. If somebody feels your pain, your pain is lifted. You become a healer. And that's what I learned as a counselor. These women would come to me, they complain about their husbands. I get them, ask them questions, get them to feel their emotions. Now you're bringing awareness into the body where the mind and the body connect through emotion. The mind connects with the body through the emotion of joy and happiness and enthusiasm. You feel it in your body and ecstasy, or you, you feel anger and you feel sadness and you feel hurt and you feel despair, all these emotions in your body. So we, that's where the healing happens is you feel what your emotions are. Feeling is the doorway. It's not the answer. It's the doorway to healing. It's the doorway to feel the negative emotions inside and let them go through analysis. First, you feel the emotion. That's going to your female side. And you analyze what is the true cause of that emotion. So that was the Buddhist Four Noble Truths, which mm -hmm. is, you know, all, all life is suffering. Okay, so you have to feel your suffering. So you go into the pain, you feel the pain. Then you ask yourself, what is the cause of the pain? And you discover I am the cause of the pain, not you. Mm -hmm. The animal thinks you caused me pain. But the human, the higher human consciousness realizes that, no, it's how I interpret the situation that causes my pain. I'm telling myself right now that I'm being mistreated, so I'll never be treated right and I deserve better. When actually underneath that, you're only upset because you're afraid you don't deserve better, but you're unconscious of that fear. And let me give you an example of unconscious fear. If somebody's angry, I would say, well, you know, you're only angry. I wouldn't actually do this, but in therapy, I'll gradually lead someone to understand this. 
You're only angry because you're afraid. Oh, no, I'm not afraid. I'm angry, right? Any angry person says, I'm not afraid. But why would you be afraid? Why would you be angry if you weren't afraid? Why are you so defensive right now? It's because you're afraid, but you don't want to admit it because the anger is a cover up of the fear. Well, what I found in all my books, some books, all my books do talk about this healing technique in various degrees. Whenever you're upset, there's four basic emotions. There's anger, there's sadness, which sometimes you can only access by recognizing that you're disappointed. You can't be angry unless you're disappointed. You had some expectation it wasn't met. You're disappointed, so there's sadness. Sadness, you can only hold on to sadness if you're afraid you're never gonna get what you want. So I give you a, I don't give you the present you want. You feel, oh, I'm so disappointed. I say, yeah, but I'm gonna give it to you tomorrow. And you go, oh, okay. You feel better right away. As soon as you feel confident, you're gonna get what you need. Now why, and so fear is what holds us into hurt and sadness. So why would you be afraid? Why would you hold on to fear? People like live in fear all the time because in the deep unconscious, they don't believe that they're gonna get it tomorrow. Mm. And why are not, and you go, well, why am I not getting it? I must not deserve it. I must not be good enough. I don't have the potential for that. When we do have the potential for that, and where did that come from? That unconscious reaction, it's so buried inside because it's so painful to feel that I'll never get what I want. It's so painful to feel that unworthiness and inadequacy. It starts out when these little children, I mean, look at the logic of this. The logic is I come out into the world as a baby. I can't know myself at all. How my parents treat me makes me know who I am. You know, if they treat me like a nobody, then I'm a nobody. If they treat me like I'm special and lovable and capable, then I get that message. I feel, oh, I'm that, I'm that. So if somebody comes along and says, you're no good, I go, well, that's your problem, not mine. I know who I am. That's what the real self-realization is. It's knowing who you are, not depending on others to know who you are. But as children, we don't have the brain power to self-reflect. So in that place of not being able to self-reflect, we're constantly looking in a mirror. How do I look? You know, I'm like looking my hair mess. I have to look in my screen to see how I look. Well, we look to our parents to see how we look. So let's just be a child for a moment. I come into the world. I don't know who I am. And everybody's happy to see me. What's my first discovery of myself is, oh, I make people happy. And then they love me. Okay, simple, simple logic. There's hardly any logic. Just I make people happy. Then. Another day happens and our parents are arguing and fighting and they're not happy. I think, what's wrong with me? Mm. What did I do wrong? Or I'm crying because I'm distressed. I don't have communication skills and nobody comes. So I guess I don't, what's my conclusion? I guess I don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. There's so many reactions we have as children when our needs are not met that confirm that I'm not good enough or I don't deserve to be loved. Or I deserve to be loved if I suffer. (laughs) That's another one. I remember when I married Bonnie, she had old-fashioned parenting skills. So her children would go a little crazy because she had two children before we had a child together. And she, they were so glad I came on the scene because she would, they'd be upset. She'd punish them. And so when she punished them, they go to their punishment and then they come out and they'd be so happy because now they're out. So the message they get is, You're, you upset me. You don't make me happy. You deserve to suffer. And if you suffer enough, then I will love you again. And this is what we do to ourselves. We punish ourselves all the time. This is like old fashioned thinking. This is what monkeys do. They get hurt, they punish other people. And where does punishment come from? Just analyze it a little deeper. Think about it. You can't communicate with somebody. You know they like you. You have some attraction towards them, but they keep stepping on your foot. 
So finally you say, look, ow, ow, ow. And they keep stepping in your foot because nobody's ever stepped on their foot. So they don't understand that experience. So you think, well, what do I do? I have to step on their foot now. And that's the origins of getting even. That's the origins of punishment. I want you to suffer so you can understand how my suffering is. Then you'll feel compassion for me and we'll let it go. I don't get mad. I get even. Yes, yes. I say I was the same way. Why, why waste time getting angry? Solve the problem. Yeah. And ironically, that's actually true, is that when people are angry, first thing you have to do is recognize anger doesn't work. Solve the problem. It's just that's the monkey way to solve the problem, <laughs> not the human way to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So these women would come and I would get them to feel their emotion. Now, as soon as somebody is feeling emotion, you can feel it. If somebody's telling, I feel like I've been rejected, unless you've been rejected in that same way, you can't fully experience what that you can get close to it, but you can't fully connect with it. But if I can get them to feel their emotion, kabang, I can be right with them and connect. And then what happens, their stress hormone goes away and suddenly they realize they don't have any problems anymore with their husband. So, and that would last about a week <laughs> and they come back and now they have more problems, but then they'd be happy again. And that's because when you're in a stress state, your brain only focuses on problems. And, and it's not that they don't have problems, it's just the problems are no big deal. So I teach women, if ever you wanna to complain to your husband, which I don't recommend because it just reinforces needing to use negativity to get what you want, try using love, which is advanced communication skills. But the, the, the tendency to use negativity to get what you want only causes a rut in your brain to constantly looking at what's wrong with my partner, what's wrong with my life, and this is the wrong direction to go in. And so much therapy only makes people worse because the therapist just sit there and listen to complaints as opposed to helping someone get to a deeper level of their emotion, even back to their childhood. When you can do that, then everybody feels more compassion for a child because they truly are powerless. Here's why friends don't let friends vaccinate. Fear does not stop death. It stops life. And worrying does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. The COVID quote unquote vaccine is not a vaccine. They've said it will take multiple doses and even then require continuous reinjection. That's a drug, not a vaccine. Add to that that this is the first ever mRNA vaccine, which Contrary to the propaganda websites and news outlets out there debunking the real risks, has the potential to change our genetic makeup, perhaps even making a legal case that humans who have received the vaccine have now been genetically modified, almost like a GMO. Let that sink in for a moment. And then you take into that, into consideration the fact that Multiple countries are showing dozens of adverse effects. Hank Aaron, the Major League Baseball star, died just within a, a week of getting the COVID vaccine. And there are many more cases, far too many to even name here. This is part of the reason that many of us have decided to be the change that we want to see in the world. And we are forming a regenerative, community-sufficient tribe living in harmony with nature in Western North Carolina. Here's a little bit of the community guidelines and manifesto for those of you guys that may be interested. 
it's going to be off-grid power. So each home is going to have their own power, either through propane, solar, hydroelectric, wood stoves, or some combination thereof. Uh, there's going to be no Wi-Fi or wireless electricity, but we will have wired internet connections that are faster and healthier. Uh, each parcel of land on the property, each home site is going to have uh, spring water for drinking, bathing, and gardening. We have a regenerative philosophy that we're bringing. So if, for example, we need to cut down five trees to put in a road, we're going to plant 10. Um, we believe that we are divine creators in the image of God and that the laws of God uh, belong above the laws of man. Um, we're going to encourage gardening, growing some or all of your own food. Many people don't realize this, but a family of four can be fed on just a quarter acre. Um, we're going to be connected to our local law enforcement, particularly the local sheriff. We're going to be attending um meetings and lobbying for laws that uphold the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, our freedom, and the health and sustainability, I know that's a buzzword, uh, of, of Mother Nature. We're going to focus on the good, the true, and the beautiful. Um, our currency is going to be trading of goods and services, um, possibly silver, possibly gold, but not relying on, uh, you know, paper money that's not backed by anything and certainly headed for a crash, or uh, the cryptocurrency, which is um, part of, you know, this sort of slavery system that they're kind of trying to usher the unsuspecting into. Uh, we believe our greatest assets are our community, our character, and our health. Family is wealth. Uh, no mask, no vax. There's going to be community homeschooling. Uh, it's critical that we teach our children as they are our future. So we're going to be big on practicing critical thinking, challenging convention, seeking wisdom, not information. There's going to be no usury, so no charging interest on any loaned money. And all of us are going to be looking to add value, leaving everyone in our community better than we found them. Um, if you're interested in learning more about how you could possibly be a part of this community, uh, you can go to biohackercoaching.com. I want to be forthright and respect your time. The minimum investment is a 25K donation that guarantees uh, a quarter acre plot of land. Uh, 75K guarantees uh, a full acre of land and 195K guarantees three acres of land. And our community is a beautiful mix of entrepreneurs, healers, yogis, health professionals, families, and individuals who value freedom, connection, and living in harmony with Mother Earth. Uh, this sounds funny, but after 2020, you got to say it. All religions except for Satanism and Luciferianism are valued and welcome. So it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, Christian, Jewish, as long as God's at the top. Um, that's all that matters. So, yeah, you can learn more about that and grab a time for us to talk at biohackercoaching.com. Just please make sure that you know, the, you're financially qualified. And if you would like to request, after you filled out your application, if you'd like to request that it is moved to the front of the line, you can text community VIP to 847-989-3743. 
Yeah, truly let's, our palace. Let's talk about that because you've you've dropped a lot of gold nuggets here between dealing with stress, actually feeling emotions rather than sedating, distracting, drugging, you know, uh, I guess drugging is, is sedating, but ignoring them, brushing them under the rug. Um, and you've talked about childhood trauma and some of the hypnotic programming. And I think people, anyone listening would agree intellectually. I imagine that all of these things translate to practices practices that you take people through practices that you recommend they integrate into their life is is meditation the meta practice for this if so how do you recommend doing it or is it sometimes you need meditation sometimes you need a different practice to feel these emotions to both uh to kind of it sounds like almost bouncing back and forth between feeling them and then intellectually analyzing their origin how, how do you tra- like where does the rubber meet the road and how do you help people that, that know they've got stress, they're not allowing themselves to feel, what are the practices that you recommend? Okay, we have to understand the, the meta com, uh, context, which you first talked about. And I, I, I like to tell my journey a little bit. Please. To create that context. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, my parents were incredibly positive. So I really didn't, there wasn't a space for me to feel negative emotions much. I just had a really happy childhood, but there were upsets deep inside. Mm-hmm. Every, there's all these disappointments, but there wasn't, there wasn't an upset. So there was a time where I, I got lost and didn't see my family for seven days. And on the seventh, and I was just trying to be a good little boy, hoping my parents would find me. And then the woman said to me, you need your mother because I was crying about some little thing. And then I burst into hysterics because I needed someone who had an adult brain to say to me, you need your mother right now. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yes, the, yes. The child doesn't always know what, what they need inside. You need someone to ask, like all my therapy clients, you know, I ask the questions, I go deeper in, well, maybe you're also feeling this, maybe and guide people to this real emotion that they're going through. And the woman saw I was in hysterics, found my mother, brought me home and said, you need to give this child some special attention. Because uh, that, that I've never seen a child that hysterical. And my mother spent the day with me. And I remember I forgot the whole incident until much later in life. And all I remember was that day when I was walking on the beach with my mother and she was being nice to me. And the world looked so huge. It was like I'd been woken up from that theta dream. And the world was too much for me to handle. So my whole life, I had anxiety. Anytime in front of an audience or in front of a group or a lot of people around, I had all this anxiety that stemmed from that moment. And it wasn't until there was a traumatic moment when I I married Bonnie, but before I married my wife, Bonnie, of 32 years, I was married to another woman for a couple of years. And then she fell in love with another man. And we were teaching this class on sex, making love work. and, And now I'm teaching about relationships and my wife isn't wants to be, leave me for another man. <laughs> and, and that's my livelihood. And, you know, I'm teaching this with her. And also she doesn't love me anymore. So wow. I'm just just been a month for nine years and starting relationships. I was deeply in love. I'm a very romantic guy, deeply in love. And it was my livelihood. I needed money as well, you know, and I, so I created this. I was a counselor and taught these workshops and I can't teach a workshop on making love on, on relationships if my 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 marriage just fell apart. So we're married for two years. It was devastating. I was doing the techniques I'm going to teach in a minute. But I was able to recover 
that whole memory of losing my mother. And I processed it extremely for about a week. I was massively anxious. And then for about nine months, I kept doing the technique that I'm going to teach. I would go in waves until, and ironically for money, I stopped teaching classes on relationships. And I taught a class called Healing the Heart because <laughs> that's what I was doing, my broken heart. But my heart was not broken by this woman so much. It was that trigger. When I was a child, my heart was broken. I child the bonds with the mother and then suddenly the mother's not there. The child feels I'll never get love again. It's a trauma. Mm -hmm. So I'd completely forgotten that, you know, I had a happy childhood, but I forgot that. And there were some other things I also forgot later on. I found out what other things would happen in my life. I find out these things that happened to my perfect childhood. It wasn't so perfect. And, but and anyway, that's huge for listeners because a lot of people like you didn't necessarily have trauma on paper or rape, but that doesn't mean they didn't emotionally experience trauma in some form. You know, it's kind of relative. I, I'm really glad you you said that. Uh, you know, my daughter, basically, because I'm so good at all this stuff, has extremely low amounts of trauma at all, right? Mm -hmm. And all she remembers is the one time where she was being really sassy with me and I pushed her down on the bed. <laughs> And she was like traumatized by that. And you think, well, that's nothing, you know, when I was a kid. And here's another thing. When I was a kid in Texas, if you did bad things, your father would pull out a belt and whip you. Yeah, that, That's what you did. You know, it was, it was done afterwards, yeah. you know, so that yeah. that's what would happen. So, so you brought out a really thing. I've had so many people say, oh, I have a fine childhood. No, no, you go into the sense, the delicacies of it. You don't have the rape on paper or whatever it is that you tend to go back to. And keep in mind that the person who did have that really devastated thing happen, they always feel like that's the reason why they're less than everybody else. So they have to carry that with them their whole lives. Mm -hmm. So I did this one time. I did a seven day training for kids who have been abused, who knew their abuse, who've been treated for their abuse. You know, they've been identified as abused child, you know, mm -hmm. and I said, I'll do this seven day training. These are like 12, 13 year olds. And all of the, 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 the either homeless, they've been molested, all these kind of things that happen. But I want equally a number of children around the same age from good families where they didn't have those terrible things happen. They just had normal traumas, you know, the kids go right. through. Yeah. And nobody was allowed to know their past until they were all connecting. And it was only like three days into it. They discovered they were all having the same issues in present time. And then they discovered that the people who had these big abuses discovered that even people who don't have those have the same issues they're working through. Mm. And the very important point is that we think that I have all these problems today because of that one thing that happened in my life. I said, no, you have all these problems in your life today because there's a lot of things you have to process inside yourself and you're blessed to know one of them very clearly. Other people have to have bad things happen to them to get in touch with the sensitive things inside. Okay, so having all said that, I mean, like, for example, for me, uh, I, I invested in the competitor to Google back in the day, invested $3 million, and it didn't happen. And Google got it, and Yayo got it, and so forth. But it was a good idea, right? Well, that was all my money at the time. That's a big trauma, right? I had overcome that, and other times, and I have. I've always been a happy guy, even what's happened. I said, well, look, I made it, I can make it again. That's because I'd handled by that time all these unnecessary fears that pollute our mind. But it wasn't until my wife in the first marriage betrayed me in that way. And I was devastated. I remember that childhood experience. I did these techniques I'll teach to process it. 
after about nine months since that time, I've never felt anxiety in my life. I mean, think about a life where you have no anxiety. I My first talk on meditation, literally, I fainted on the stage when I gave it. I had so much anxiety and I felt so terrible. And I thought this must be the wrong occupation for me. If you have that much distress before doing it, I was out of my comfort zone, right? And boom, what came up with all this repressed anxiety that came out. Now, I would, I remember something that was comforting to me. And I think this might help other people when you have this anxiety and you think, well, maybe this isn't the right thing for me. At the time, the Rolling Stones magazine had an interview with John Lennon and asked them why they stopped touring. They only toured for about three years, even though they're immortal, basically, because they were channeling the energy. Mm-hmm. But the, they, and John Lennon said, we stopped touring because we had so much anxiety that we would throw up before the shows. Mm-hmm. And for me as a kid growing up, I saw the Beatles, you know, they came to Houston, Texas, they did the Coliseum. And all the girls would have orgasms, you know, screaming, you know, the whole thing. My wife explained to me that all that hysteria was actually orgasms. <laughs> Women didn't know. These are girls. They didn't even know they were having orgasms. So this is a multi-orgasmic world at that point. It was just, it was exploding. It was a shift on the consciousness on the planet. And I remember saying, it's this little 12 or 13-year-old, I'm not going to stand up and scream like those girls. As soon as the Beatles came out, as soon as they took the thing off the drum and said the Beatles, the whole room went into hysteria. I was screaming to the whole concert. The point I'm making here- Orgasm everywhere. Orgasm everywhere. <laughs> now, the point of this story, it's a fun story. It's a cool story. But the point of it is, why did the Beatles have anxiety? Because there was so much screaming, you really couldn't even hear if they made a mistake. Mm. It's not about the fear of making a mistake. It's about all that love and attention was awakening all their own emotional issues. And that's what people have to get is that our emotional issues keep us from going out. So we want to stay in our comfort zone to avoid feeling the fear and the anxiety or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when we go out and if we're successful, the love that people give us brings up more stuff. Mm-hmm. This is a journey. If you start having real love in your life, then you feel safe to be yourself. And if I'm safe to be myself, automatically all these repressed emotions start to come out. Because it's only because we don't feel safe to be ourselves, we produce the cortisol that pushes it all down. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, you win the lottery, you become crazy. You know, women, they get married and suddenly they feel, okay, now I can relax and be myself. And they put on all this weight and they get addicted to food. Couples start arguing and fighting. They behave like children. Mm-hmm. Watch even couples who fall in love. They start, honey, sweetie, baby. <laughs> it's like all these beautiful childlike feelings because the child is love. The child is innocence. The child is wonder. The child is enthusiasm. The child is interest and motivation. Oh my gosh, if we could capture that, you'd live a long time, which is what I'm doing now. I've captured that. I have my life of that. It's so precious. And as a man, the symbol, and this came from, this comes from the Tibetan knowledge. I see you're into Tibet. The whole thing in Tibet is yin and yang and masculinity is compassionate. Compassionate means you're not whining about yourself. You're feeling the pain of others. You're feeling the pain of others and then acting appropriately according to that, Mm -hmm. but not treating them like victims, but happy to help. Now, the other side of that is what is the feminine energy? This is Tibetan Buddhism. It's wisdom. Everything I teach for women is the wisdom of how to stop blaming your partner for anything. I'm telling you, women, if you don't blame a man, he will become more and more and more. Every time you complain to a man to get what you want, 
Not only are you training your brain to look at negativity to get what you want rather than use love to get what you want, the male, if you complain to him, every time you complain to him, you're conditioning his brain to go, I'm not a success in the presence of this woman. Therefore, his testosterone levels lower and lower and lower. So he's not even interested in sex with her. He can't even get it up with her. But a stranger, someone he hasn't yet been complained to, his erection will go back up. Mm. And this is this is like, doesn't make sense to people until you get to the big meta picture here. Now, you talked about even bigger is meditation practices and so forth. My journey, as you know, was to become master meditator, find my oneness with the divine. And I was like in heaven, okay? But if I came out into the world, I had anxiety. It didn't do anything for my anxiety as long as I stayed in my comfort zone, which for me was divine, okay? You know, I was a superstar meditator and I was very disciplined. You know, I had a cup of food a day. I slept on the floor. I meditate for hours. I didn't had silence for months at a time. All this cool stuff that I was really into. You don't have to have all that stuff, but I'm an extremist. Now I'd say I'm extremely balanced, but <laughs> but that was going way to my male side. Discipline, uh, sacrifice, de denying your own needs for the needs of others or for a higher need. And so for me, the higher need was enlightenment. Anytime mm -hmm. you put off your petty desires for a higher thing, you're producing testosterone. Now, the female side of us, the estrogen side of us, that's the part of us, it's love and happiness and joy. Independence is our male side. Dependence is our female side. So the plight that women are going through is now that they're somewhat enlightened, they're free to be either feminine or masculine, but they've gotten caught on their male side. It takes a whole new set of knowledge to go to your male side and come back to your female side if you're a woman. It takes a whole set of knowledge for a man to go over to his female side to do what makes him really happy and then come back and do the discipline stuff. Uh, this is tough. This is hard stuff. It's so easy, for example, to do what's pleasurable rather than what's good for you. That's where I talk about anytime you're dependent on something for your happiness, you're on your female side. Now, women are depending on themselves for their happiness today. And so they're not on their female side. And men are depending too much on activities that make them happy. And it weakens their testosterone. And so you start to feel weak. You start to feel stress. And then you masturbate to produce temporary dopamine, temporary testosterone. And then the outcome is your testosterone levels desensitize, just like your dopamine desensitizes and your estrogen levels dominant. So you start feeling moody or anxious or upset. You start feeling passive. You have ADD symptoms become exaggerated. All these things we want to overcome as men only happen when you're in cortisol and in men, only cortisol happens when your estrogen levels are too high and your testosterone is not high enough. When you can have your testosterone level at a healthy level, then you're in service to somebody who you feel compassion towards or you feel love towards, then your estrogen levels go up. Estrogen has the effect. Now, this is simple plumbing. Estrogen has the effect of lowering testosterone. Testosterone in women has the effect of lowering estrogen. That's just how they are automatically. If I go to my female side, I lose my testosterone control. Let's give, let me give you an example. I say, okay, I'm not gonna eat ice cream anymore because it's causing belly fat, <laughs> or at least cut down on it. So I'm feeling really strong or whatever on my male side. Naturally, when your male side increases, your female side can now start to rise up and you get a balance of yin yang. 
So I said, okay, I'm feeling really good and trim. I'm going to go have some ice cream. And now I'm going to eat too much ice cream and lose control. My masculine goes down if I have too much of my feminine. That's what an ejaculation is. An ejaculation is you're dependent, you're enjoying this thing so much. You're depending on her. You're having this whole great time. So your estrogen levels are rising and rising and rising. Your testosterone levels are going up too because you feel I'm making her happy. Now, many men can't last long in the vagina because they're not actually making the woman happy. They don't understand the dynamics of the woman's physiology. You have to double her estrogen levels before she can climax. She can't even feel longing for sex until her estrogen levels start to double. You first have to do a lot of foreplay even when she's not that interested in it, but she's interested in the touch and the loving, but her estrogen levels have to start doubling. Then when her estrogen levels start to double, if you're causing that to happen, if you're at cause of that, then your testosterone rises along with her. And then at a certain point, you, it tastes so good that you just eat too much ice cream and your estrogen shoots up, knocks your testosterone down, and you wake up the next day and your testosterone is 50% less, 50% less. And it takes you six days to recover. So if you're gonna, if you wanna have high testosterone, healthy testosterone, you know, all my male friends can't even get erections out 70 years old. <laughs> they don't even have sex. They go, I don't, I'm, I don't even care about sex. Well, who would care about sex if you can't get an erection and last for a long time, get plenty of orgasms? They shouldn't feel too bad about that. I was on a men's trip a few years ago and I was shocked at how many of the guys brought Viagra and Cialis with them. Yeah, yes. It's <laughs> or said they used it with their, with their partners, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And this is the reality today, okay? The reality today. And ironically, in the past, historically, people didn't expect sex to be this great thing. It really was like a big sneeze. You know, mm -hmm. Rajneesh used to talk about orgasms just a sneeze, but you have to have a lot of sneezes after a while, you lose your addiction to it. That's part of the whole thing here is learning, you're your, freeing yourself from the addiction of ejaculating. It's not the orgasm. The orgasm becomes orgasmic more and more and more. But your orgasm as a man equates into her, her orgasm is your orgasm. You experience this oneness where your body starts actually having the orgasmic experience without ejaculating. And that really to start doing that, you have to practice not ejaculating for a good six months to build up the chi energy. But you, you learn how to make love to her. And you have to, she has to be trained in this that she should not in any way want you to ejaculate. That's my biggest obstacle from women and couples. Women want you to ejaculate, you know, mm. for a variety of reasons. One, they have a male side, just like we want a woman to have an orgasm. They want to feel like they did it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they got you to ejaculate. Another one is they're not really enjoying it. And they just want it to be over soon because <laughs> when a man ejaculates, it's over. Mm. And why is it over? Because your testosterone goes down. You, you lose your testosterone once you ejaculate. Now, imagine if you go through life and you don't ejaculate and you also have regular sex. You know, that's your potential as men, but you got to get over the addiction to ejaculation. So you're talking six months, even if you're having sex, there's no ejaculation. Yeah, that's what first. Tall thing. order, John, tall order. <laughs> no, no, but there's a, there's a process. Okay. There's, let yeah. me get to the process. First is never masturbate. That's the first one. Mm -hmm. Masturbation, you're just a monkey. If you're doing that, you're a young teenager kid, you want to rise above that. So you, you mm -hmm. never masturbate and porn will make you masturbate. It mm -hmm. controls you. 
So you yeah. can't even look at porn anymore. You just got to disconnect. That That is just like taking cocaine. It overstimulates your dopamine receptor sites. You're going to feel, I have to ejaculate, or you'll get blue balls. So that's the first step is don't do it alone. The next thing is have a partner and have sex with her and ejaculate, and then don't ejaculate for six days. So you cut it down to once a week. Now, what you're doing is freeing yourself. During that week, you're going to be horny. You're going to want to ejaculate. You don't ejaculate for six days. And that's cooperation with her. Mm. And women, I tell women, if you want a guy to bond with you because they have sex with guys right away, guys don't even call back. It's because mm. if you have sex with a woman and you haven't yet bonded mentally and emotionally with her, then after having sex with her, your testosterone goes down. There's nothing to bring you back to her. But a stranger mm-hmm. woman will produce produce testosterone right away. So I've, I've experienced that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know, a lot of guys are like in their forties and never wanted to make a commitment because they would ejaculate on Saturday night with one woman and go with another woman on Tuesday and ejaculate. And now the brain becomes confused. You can't bond with this woman if you just bonded with another woman. Because after connecting, it then goes down and then it goes up with her and it goes down. And then you get this ambivalent thing. You go back to this woman and then it goes down, it goes back. It's I've experienced really that, yeah. We have to understand this sexual dynamics is wisdom. Most people never heard of this stuff. Now I've studied the biology to explain it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So where were, that was a lot there. I was, uh, uh, so here we are, how to do it. Okay. Now mm-hmm. I, I, it's You're training. kind of weaning off of ejaculation. You wean off of ejaculation and also of having no sex. No pun intended. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and not having sex more than once a week. Okay, once you're doing that, now you're freeing yourself from the need to ejaculate all the time. So you're, you're creating a, 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 a detachment in sex. So you, you start watching in sex, even though you're going to ejaculate on that one, once a week, you watch the rhythm of your arousal. Masters and Johnson mapped out the actual sexual arousal for men particularly. You have a period of excitement. During that excitement, there's no need to ejaculate. It's just everything is more pleasurable, getting naked, touching, kissing, breasts, all that stuff. It's all very exciting, very exciting. Then at a certain point, it becomes a little less exciting. It's kind of like flat. Okay, and there's just this moment where, and that often that's when we want to do stuff to make it more exciting instead of it just continuing to be all by itself. You know, when we were teenagers, we could just make out all the time. You know, that was, we were just in an arousal state. And then we started actually doing the real thing that becomes boring. So it, whatever, there's a, there's a flattening that happens and that, that's called the plateau, according to them. There's the arousal, there's the plateau, and then there's the, uh, ejaculation, which is a spike. It just shoots up. Now, right when it shoots up, they call that the point of inevitability. You can't stop. You can't hold back an ejaculation at that point. So you have to time it. You start practicing this. It takes a lot of subjective awareness to do this. It takes time. You have to know what is the point where that plateau stops and to change positions and start over. Mm. Just start over. You talk a little bit even. I mean, literally, you want to just, you know, you, you you so might you, say, you me, stop the act, pull, like literally pull out, maybe yeah. Yeah. go down on her or change positions very slowly, depending on how aroused you are. Actually, the opposite is fast. Fast is better. Okay. As soon, right. as, as, soon as you do it slow, you're already in fear and fear produces estrogen and estrogen causes you to mm. ejaculate. Mm. But if you, you got to stay out of that fear zone, 
otherwise you ejaculate. So as soon as they notice yourself getting close to the point of inevitability, and ironically, even before, you, you have to have a certain amount of distance and they just pull out. And they just say, huh. hey, just do it suddenly. Now, ironically, when you pull out, she becomes more aroused. Mm. See, our mental thinking is, oh, we're a loser. We have to pull out because we're too excited. We have to change that thinking. We're, we're pulling back because the reason, the re you have to understand this. The reason you're at that point of high tension and it's tension, ejaculation is a release of a tension that builds up only because your excitement is not equal in her. She's not receiving you. She needs more tension to build up. We have immediate attention, tension to release. She needs time to build up the tension and then she wants sex. She wants you to pound her and then she wants to release it. Okay, so it takes time to build that up. Mm -hmm. So when you're more excited than her, you will always hit that point of inevitability. So you have to keep that. You're cool, calm, and collected. You're feeling love and affection and warmth, enjoying it, but you hold back from getting too excited. The more you hold back from being too excited, you're a Buddha. Nothing, you know, you're it's, it's just come back to this more centered position. Don't get lost in the pleasure. Mm -hmm. Now, this is best with somebody you deeply love. Okay, so I'm going to just talk about it from that point of view. Maybe you just got a girlfriend, you don't deeply love her, but you have affection for her, however you mm -hmm. want to call it. You want to always realize the purpose of sex is to feel that love and affection, not to have more pleasure. You will have more pleasure automatically. The reason sex is so good to connect with your feelings of love is this is deep inside our soul and spirit. And through pleasure, we, our ability to feel increases. Feeling pain increases your ability to feel. Feeling pleasure increases your ability to feel. So by stimulating pleasure, you're able to increase your ability to feel. And that's the point of it is I'm doing this to feel greater warmth, affection, and love. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you get drowned out in the pleasure, your tension's gonna build up. So the key to this is have the skills to constantly start over and give her the stimulation she needs so her estrogen levels will rise. Because if your estrogen goes higher than hers, your testosterone, you're gonna release and go down. Mm -hmm. So it's a regulation of these energies. Now, women in studying, this is Tantra and this is Taoist sex, okay? These are two things I'm a master of. I've studied in China, I'm studying in India. And I update it because really, they're not gonna talk so much about, maybe some do, I don't know, everybody's teaching. But they're more about the practice rather than the brain hacking mental attitudes. The attitudes are, you're going to always prioritize as a man, the increased feeling of affection and warmth and love more than, and the desire to please her and knowing what pleases her. So we'll go a little bit into that. In Taoism, they talk about nine orgasms for women. The first is the kiss. You should not even go anywhere else in her body after you have loving conversation and romance a little bit. Then the kiss, the kiss is the French kiss, ultimately where she opens her mouth and penetrates your mouth. That will be a natural instinct in her. If women are inhibited, they never have that. But there's a place that happens long before her vagina opens up to be penetrated, more saliva goes into her mouth. Just like there's liquid in her vagina, the, the mouth becomes very liquid, the lips get a little dry, there's a natural licking of the lips and a wanting to penetrate in. So she wants to come into you. That means there's a surge in testosterone. Her estrogen is high enough 
to where she wants to balance it with a little testosterone and a little penetration of you. So there's that tongue interaction. So that's one orgasm. You just, like teenagers, we were having it. It was fantastic. Then the next one, according to them, is in this whole body kind of touching and kissing in different places and the joints loosen up and the bodies move around a bit. You like pressing each other, pumping each other a bit, squeezing. And as I described, this is never like you have to follow this formula all the time. This is the ancient Taoists. They're a little bit more formula. They use formulas. More. I, I think it's helpful for the left brain guys, though, to have yes, things yeah. they could do until they start to master. That's right. You know, so, so we don't want to get stuck in it. And I'll explain that in a minute. But, you know, behind the ears, for example, is really key. And, and gently blowing in the ears, touching her hair, by the way, is, is a massively oxytocin stimulator. Now for estrogen to go higher, oxytocin needs to be stimulated in a woman's body. Ironically, non-sexual touch is the beginning of the production of oxytocin. That's why hugs, attention, affection, listening, a date, all those things make a woman feel safe to be herself where she can kind of relax. As oxytocin increases, then her estrogen can rise up if you're providing the kind of support she needs. Mm -hmm. Now that support she needs is outside the bedroom to extent and then inside the bedroom, it's gentle, slow, it's the kissing, it's the touching, kissing behind her ears. And here's something that I don't do a lot, but I just want you to know it, it's something that works. You can just do it by gently touching her head and many, many times just stroking her hair. One woman teaches this class and she doesn't tell you what it is, but it's that Every man, you can give her multi-orgasmics every time. And finally, I you know, take the class to find out what it is. <laughs> and it's brushing a woman's hair. Huh. See, no, see, intimacy is touch me where nobody else can. That's what intimacy is for a woman. Hear me. I'll share with you things that I don't tell anybody else. I'll reveal parts of me that I don't show anybody else. I take my clothes off for you, but nobody else. You see, that stimulates, that means I feel safe. That stimulates oxytocin. So literally on a physical level, without all this mental stuff, on a physical level, non-sexual touch is the, one of the biggest stimulators of oxytocin that allows estrogen to start rising. So it's kind of like the doorway. And so that's why women love to go get their hair done and the guy or woman washes their head. Yeah. See, there's just this attraction. You know, I, when I go to my guy, he says, uh, you know, do you want me to wash your hair? I said, why? I washed it this morning. <laughs> so he just put some water on it. But women really, it's very comforting them to brush their hair and to brush their hair for a while as precursors to sex. Now, mm -hmm. I've done it a few, few times, but basically my wife felt so safe that I could, but I would touch her. And she says, and John, outside the house, just whenever you're around me, just graze and touch my hair. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was just something, she didn't read any of the studies. She just said, I like it when you touch me. Literally, it's called petting. You know, that's what foreplay is. You pet your partner mm -hmm. and you touch the shoulder in a non-sexual way. You hold hands in a non-sexual way. All this time, you're building up her oxytocin. And only when oxytocin hits a certain point can her estrogen rise to a certain point. And that's called arousal. And it's only after women feel arousal that they really want to have sex. You see, you want to have sex right away. You first want to have sex and you get aroused when you think you can get it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But for women, the arousal has to happen before they really, they really want it. 
And mm-hmm. when, if you get them to arousal and then they want sex, your penis becomes worshipped. Now, and, there's, in Bhutan, they have statues of penises. They're happy there. <laughs> Men are happy. When I was in Nepal, in Kathmandu, I snuck into this temple. They don't let Westerners go in there at all. Why? Because we we like, what is this? They have little penises. There are like 500 penises. And the, the women put, uh, they worship it. It's the Shiva energy. It's the lingam. And then mm-hmm. they also have places where they have the yoni, which is the, the vagina. <laughs> this is like... They know that the source of life is sex. And so mm-hmm. they worship those aspects of sex. Now, we are no longer just about sex. We're about the higher intelligence, which is the spirit coming into sex with love mm-hmm. and affection and warmth and caring and sensitivity. And yeah. it's always about the male being selfless, providing the support that women need. And as her estrogen levels go up, your estrogen levels will go up as well. But because you're providing that support for her, your testosterone stays high. Now, what happens for women is when their estrogen levels are low, when you're stimulating them and they start to get excited, they start to feel that I want it. And then they grab it. They take it away from you. That's when they close their eyes and they concentrate on their clitoris. And that's the opposite of what will allow you to last a long time. Mm -hmm. And women have to understand this. There's two female orgasms. Well, there's many. According to Dallas, there's nine. But then according to Freud, there's also the clitoral orgasm, which is very different from the vaginal orgasm. Mm -hmm. And and then there's this big war saying Freud was wrong. Of course, Freud is is right about that. Any woman who's ever had a vaginal orgasm just laughs when they say there's no comparison between a clitoral orgasm and a vaginal orgasm with the G spot, the E spot and the C spot. These are like, and maybe there's others, we don't have all that discovered. When you, when you learn to do this for a long time, you realize there's a lot going on in there. Different points come out that become, need to be stimulated, which is why the ancient, the ancient people, you know, sex was their big thing. They didn't, you know, have TV at night. <laughs> so this is what they did all the time. They mastered this stuff. And if you're watching TV, guys, you're making a choice. <laughs> yeah. All these people say to me, what, as a sex counselor, I say, well, they say, oh, we're too tired to have sex. I said, you weren't too tired when you fell in love. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting there watching the news and you're doing that stuff. It's, it, you've lost that. You've lost the hormonal balance. See, that's the whole key. So having sex is a really, really big one to keep your testosterone up as your man, even if you ejaculate, even mm-hmm. if you ejaculate. If she has an orgasm and you provided it, and then your testosterone goes down in six days, your testosterone on Saturday morning will double. And that's very important for your plumbing to continue working and for your balls to get the message that you're an alpha man and you need to make that high level of testosterone. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're a beta monkey, you don't get sex. The women don't want you. And then you're a beta. And if the alpha dies, the most powerful of the betas suddenly becomes alpha in one day just because the women all want him sexually. Mm-hmm. He's the king. And once he's the king, his testosterone levels double. So if you're the richest man in the world, your testosterone levels double. But unfortunately, it depends upon your wife having orgasms. So Bill Gates has got low testosterone. <laughs> I don't think he's given anybody any orgasms. <laughs> That's for sure. There's no question about that. <laughs> And, and you know, the guy with Amazon, he divorced his wife. She wasn't having orgasms. His new wife will have them for a while, but then she'll start having to focus on herself to have them. And then he'll start being a premium again and premature ejaculate. 
not be able to last long because the woman has to be totally open and receptive. And mm-hmm. right when they get to that place of open and receptive, they have their fears and anxieties. They want to grab that orgasm. And now they're not, they're doing it rather than you're doing it for them. Mm-hmm. They, that allows her to be receptive and go into waves of receptivity and they become multi-orgasmic and they're not focused on, they don't even know what you're doing. They're just opening their heart. And, and feeling like, safe enough with you to surrender. That's right. To they, let need, go. they need to have those hormones to say, to have to surrender as well. You need the mindset, but you can't hold on to the mindset without the hormones because it's the mindset of being safe in relationship to a man. Mm-hmm. That means being to, to trust him, to depend on him. And most women today in the 60s, what happened? I became a hippie, went to my female side, had long hair, peace, love, all that stuff. Women went to their male side and said, we want to run the world. And they were going to be empowered and all that. Now they're stuck over there and men are stuck over on their female side. We have to find that balance. Mm -hmm. You know, how to find that balance inside. And that is because we're already at this higher level. You know, the new agers talk about ascension. Oh, we all want to ascend. Mm -hmm. Actually, our culture, the Western world particularly, has ascended to the pineal gland. Basically, we have... We already have what others might call self-realization, or at least the potential for it, meaning that we can now access freely our male and female side. If you're a woman, you can be masculine, you can be feminine. If you're a man, you can be feminine, you can be masculine. But we don't know how to do that in a way that respects our biology and brings spirit into the body. So what you see now is all this confusion of men going to their female side and experiencing all this erotic feeling and women going to their male side and feeling like, you know, ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, think about it for a moment. If you're a man and your female side has been repressed and you live in a culture that represses your female side and you now have this enlightenment where you're free to go to your female side, it's like a pendulum. As you move from your masculine rep- side and you move towards your feminine side, there's a place in between where you're in balance. Mm-hmm. That's ecstatic. That's the most powerful thing. That is self-actualization, that place where you've got the yin and the yang balanced together, just like all those Tibetan statues of the the male god and the female god sitting on his lap and they're having sex. Their union, the male and female is united within ourselves. And people take that to be a metaphor. (laughs) To me, it's hours of ecstasy. You know, that's the dynamic. It's fucking (laughs) in love. You know, this is like magic. But, it, you know, you got to have good relationship. You got to have balanced yin yang energy in your life. It's, you know, this is takes a while to get enlightened. Mm-hmm. And when you are enlightened, what you do then is you integrate it into your body. And you asked before, and we'll get back to some more sex techniques, but you said something about meditation. Is that it? Is it, you know, uh, dealing with your emotions? Yep. You got to process your emotions and you also have to have meditation. Why? Well, I'll tell you my journey. So I went to my higher self. And I came out into the world and I had anxiety. I had to be, I had to learn how to process the stuff that came up because I went so high. Okay, now that's extreme. Maybe not everybody does that extreme, but the idea there is you have to go to your higher self and experience it somewhat. And in order to know when you're in your lower self that you're in your lower self and this is not who you are. You have to be able to say, this is negativity. And I have a place to go, which is back to my higher self. You have to know where home is in order to get home. So if you're unhappy, you're lost and you've got to find your way back. And that's why you're a little, you're tripping on uh, uh, psilocybin. I'm tripping now with you because I'm connecting with you. 
So who knows how long this talk's going to go. <laughs> but, I want to respect your time too. You're, you're dropping gold. <laughs> I know, I know, but I, I, I've got a contact high happening here. And the point of it is when you, when you do that, you get a glimpse of your home. And then what happens, it's just like somebody getting married. They get a glimpse that they are lovable. And then your stuff comes up. So that's the responsibility that comes when you use drugs to get high is to not depend on them to get high, but to depend on them to get a glimpse and now come back to your work that you do yourself because stuff will come up. Mm -hmm. And as that stuff comes up to be able to process it and come back to that place of love. So that's to use drugs responsibly. I used them as a young guy. After being a month for nine years, I had a few trips and whatever. It was spectacular. <laughs> so spectacular. And then I didn't do it anymore. I, I don't want to alter. I've done ayahuasca a few times. I think that's a really cool thing for people. Yeah, to me too. Guidance. And, but I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got my intense experience, whatever. But I don't want to lose my consciousness that my meditation has given me and my loving sex gives me and mm -hmm. my selfless service to society gives me. And I won't say it's all about sex and love because there's another part of it. Like what I'm doing right now is sharing my wisdom and growing and developing and helping other people the best I can. Thank you. That is just as important as meditation and just as important as sex for me. And also my, I go to the gym, I work out. I, um, I still meditate every day, sometimes four or five hours, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I push my muscles to the extent because my life's so easy. You know, you see all these fat cats, once they've sort of done it, they, they become passive. So I really need to push myself and I need a trainer to say, <laughs> I know you can, you can do it. Yeah. And, and I'll do things with him. I would never do on my own, you know, because I don't want to have the embarrassment of not being able to do what he thinks I can do. <laughs> so totally, totally. I, I got all these muscles. I have more muscles now than I ever had in my life. I got more testosterone, having more sex. I'm having more success. This is life possibility. If you go through your, you go through the negative things that happen to you and you recover and you grow in strength from it. You know, mm -hmm. as a little boy, I fell out of a tree, two stories head first and hit my head. They couldn't believe I survived. It was the perfect angle, I guess. Knocked me out. When I woke up, my bones are sticking out of my arms. So they were my brace. My mother takes me to the hospital. My trauma at that point was, Mom, why isn't there an ambulance? And she said, well, I got to take your friend home. We got to call and find out where he lives. <laughs> I think we should go right to the hospital. But, you know, she was patient. She's a very positive person all the time. <laughs> but anyway, that, that breaking my bones, the point there is that those bones broke. And when they were reset, they grow back stronger. And that's a metaphor for life. If you don't reset your bones, and that's called forgiveness and see the forgiveness see the lesson in it and grow from it and make a commitment to grow from it. That's called resetting the bone. Then you grow back stronger. Now, meditation gave me that huge glimpse of my home. So I always know where to go back to. Then once you know where to go back to, then if something upsets you, you know, this is not you, at least intellectually you go, this is, I'm just overreacting racing in that way of looking at it. But you've got to do the work of taking that high consciousness and if, as soon as you hold on to doing something with that negativity, you lose your high consciousness. Anytime you use negativity to get what you want, to change the outer world, use negativity to change the outer world, you're a monkey. You want to rise to your divine status. You use your negativity to remember who you are. Mm -hmm. See, this is not me. This is not me. You know, one of the Indian experiences, neti, neti, neti. I'm not this body. I'm not this, you know, all this deprivation of the body. We're not at that state now. We're not just 
You know, only way, only way they could feel was their bodies. Now we can feel our emotions, which is more profound and deeper. I'm not these emotions, but I was these emotions. Mm-hmm. When I was a child, I was them. So I need to embrace them as my ignorant state. And that's, you only can embrace that if you have a higher state and you say, you know, this is who I am. This is what life is. You know, when you, when you get high, you go, man, I remember when, when I was did uh, mushrooms for the first time after nine years of celibacy, I got so high, I said, you know, why would anybody not do this every day? And I realized, well, if I did this every day, I would never do anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> in my meditation, I go to 30, 30, 42 levels, actually. And one of the last levels I get to is there's, there's no doing. I'm never doing anything. It's everything's already done. This brain, this talk, my voice, I'm not doing this. It's just doing. You know, everything is effortless grace. And uh, but that's that's a state of meditation to be in. Uh, Of course, I'm doing, you know, you don't stop doing, but you have to get to the place where you're doing and you realize it's not you doing. (laughs) It's everything else. It just it's actually all been already done. And the Maya is to think that we're doing it. I mean, there's so many different ways, philosophies that are actually meditation experiences, which can be very confusing to people. (laughs) So. Where was I this whole, whole well, thing? I, I mean, you've, you've been sharing so much great stuff I, I, and I want to respect your time, but I also, I want to ask for selfish reasons because I think it will help people listening. Okay. Um, and, and the, I know what you're going to ask. So let me finish the one thing I was just going to sure, say. Please, please do. The process. Okay, yeah. so this book, this book, What You Feel You Can Heal. The what best one, it, what you feel you can heal. Men are from Mars, the later chapters that many people never get to. It's a technique called the feeling letter exercise. Okay, what you do when you're upset is you take time to write out and analyze what you're feeling. And you learn this higher level of emotional intelligence. One is that it appears to be about something else. It's really not. That's Maya. That's a spiritual concept. It appears, the sun appears to move, but it doesn't. It appears to be caused by you insulting me, and so I'm offended. But that's my problem, not yours. You have your own problems. That's not my business. My business is me. So I write out, I embrace these negative emotions like it's a child throwing a tantrum. And I write out what I'm angry about. And I ask myself, what am I angry about? What else am I angry about? Why am I angry? And look at anything that's associated with anger. And I tell you different ways to look at that. But you write out, you, you must, the writing helps you to have distance while you're also feeling. So you need to feel the emotion, not just feeling thoughts. I feel like nobody loves me, I'll never get things done. You can write that, that's a doorway. What emotion does that make you feel? Because emotions, negative emotions are pain. You have to feel your emotional pain. If you don't process, you'll have more physical pain. But you feel the emotion, anger. Underneath anger is always disappointment and sadness. Now, if you say to an angry person, you're just disappointed, I'm not disappointed, you're wrong. You're, yeah, they, they defend against it. Of course, they're disappointed and of course they're sad, but they're like opposites. Then you, so you go from anger to disappointment to feeling your sadness. And under each of these motions, you write out what you're wanting. I want this, I want this, I want this. Desire is underneath all negativity, which is why in the primitive world, desire was taught to be wrong because once you start to desiring, you'll have a lot of negative emotions and people weren't capable at that time of handling it. You first have to have a higher self to reflect. And that's where meditation does. It brings you to the higher self. So now you can go down into the depths of your subconscious mind and heal it and transform it. So that's the process. So you go from anger to disappointment to sadness. And then you go, why am I feeling sad and disappointed? Why is it painful? Only because I have fears. 
See, it, I'm disappointed I didn't get money. Well, why is that a problem? Because I'm afraid I will never get money. No, that. So look at those fears and realize those fears. All these negative emotions are irrational. But you, like a child, going, "I'm afraid nobody will love me. I'm afraid nobody likes me. I'm afraid I'm not good. Afraid I'm going to do bad. I'm afraid I won't succeed." This is all childlike insecurities that just need a parent to listen and feel the pain. So you're now objectively looking at those emotions because you're not acting on them and you're feeling the fear, the anger, sadness, fear, and then you go into regret what you feel sorry about or what you feel bad about. And you go deep into that and you feel your regret. And a lot of people go, well, I have nothing to be regretful about. <laughs> Say, How about regretting that you're not loving right now? Now we understand negative emotions are not expressions of love. They occur because maybe we loved before, but when you're feeling negativity, you're not loving. And so who are the people that are gonna push your buttons the most? People you're having sex with. Other than that, it's gonna be the world doing things to you. But it's so much faster if the people who push your buttons are the person you're having sex with. Then the world doesn't have to push your buttons. Then the world is your, is your oyster, what do they say? <laughs> the world opens up to you. I don't need to lose $3 million in this and this, although it seems like I did. <laughs> but, but I don't have to have all that happen to get in touch with my deep insecurities. My partner can do it. And that's what a soulmate does. They trigger you. But other than that, you can have the world do it to you too. All right. So you get in touch with your feelings of fear and insecurity, and you realize that you also feel sorry. But go back. Once you realize, where does this come from? And you start seeing other times in your life where you had those feelings. If somebody had come along and said, you know, you're upset about this. You know, you're hurt by this. And you let yourself feel what you never had a chance to express as a child. And maybe you didn't even know you had. And that will begin to open up. If you want 100 processes to do that, I have a book which is called Mars and Venus, right? That green one called Mars and Venus starting over. Because nothing triggers us more than someone dying, someone rejecting us, or someone we reject and we leave and we're starting over after a relationship. And it can even be after your business fails and you have to start over. You know, I was homeless at one point when I stopped being a monk. And that was a big trauma of living on the beach with homeless people. Dad pulled the scary. plug, huh? What's that? Dad pulled the plug. <laughs> they really pushed the button, I'll tell you. And, uh, anyway, I got out of that pretty fast because thank goodness I had a family and I humbly went to my mother and said, mom, please, I need your help. <laughs> she said, only if you go back to school and get a real job. <laughs> anyway, so I, I became a computer programmer at Stanford Research Institute. And then I made enough money to start my thing. And that's what I suggest for young guys who are kind of like, how do I follow my heart because I had no money? Go get a job and save up your money. And gradually you start getting out of survival. When you're out of survival, then you can start to balance your male and female side because you're not in mm -hmm. the cortisol state. Then it will emerge and you will find your journey. You will find your destiny. But ultimately our male side, it's to serve. But how do you find out best what you serve? That happens when you balance with your female side where you feel love and happiness. So selfless service and love and happiness, that's your male and female side. You know, we're fortunate that we can do jobs that we love to do, but that's after we do the grunt work and we don't complain about it. <laughs> you gotta get out of survival and security. Then this other stuff happens. And what's happening with the younger generation is you're all being indoctrinated with the universities telling you that you should be more like a girl if you're a guy. And mm -hmm. women, you should be more like a guy. And guys are bad, all this bullshit about gender sameness. We have mm -hmm. to counteract 
it keeps me young because I realize there's a fire I got to keep help putting out. I'm one of the few people I used to teach at Stanford and Harvard that kicked me out. You can't mm-hmm. talk about this stuff. You can't. And, and the problem is <laughs> they're encouraging this stuff. You have to realize whenever you're a man and you're more on your female side, it feels really good. Just like mm-hmm. taking ice cream, just like taking cocaine, but nobody's telling you that's an addiction. Mm-hmm. You see, you're out of balance. No wonder your life sucks. It's because you're too far on your female side and women, you're out there making money all the time and you're not taking care of yourself and your need for love and you need a man in your life. Mm-hmm. And women say, what do I need a man for? It's like another child. First of all, how insulting to say about men. But second, women don't know what they need. Just like right mm-hmm. now with COVID, people don't know the foundation. Anybody who gets sick from COVID, you're, it goes to the hospital, your vitamin D levels are below 13. Mm-hmm. It, that, it just... Vitamin D, not that that's going to cure it, but just know people don't know what they need. It's so easy to get that. And biohacking, you take your vitamin D right now. I take it every day. My 10,000 I use. I take my quercetin, my zinc. Quercetin allows zinc to upregulate. I really don't need to have zinc because I eat meat, but I still take it for fun because I don't ejaculate. Most men are zinc deficient because (laughs) zinc makes testosterone. If you ejaculate, you lose your zinc. (laughs) There's all this. That's why men are twice as, I think, I playfully, men are twice as likely to die of COVID, sick, whatever sickness there is, because they have zinc deficiency. We know anybody who goes to the hospital, zinc deficiency. We also know they're vitamin D deficient. We know the simple, simple supplement of quercetin will upregulate the zinc. And that's what oxychloroquine did. It helps upregulate zinc in your body. Well, quercetin will do it. Vitamin C with quercetin will do it even better. And vitamin D. No worries, no worries. Why isn't anybody being telling that? Fortunately, some holistic doctors are teaching those ideas. Mm-hmm. And I've always take quercetin my whole life. I don't know why. I always like quercetin. It's Me too. Yeah, Me it, too. It, it, I love it. I love it. This is this is fantastic. I know I want I want to respect your time. So last two rapid fire questions, okay. just to kind of bring this home. Imagine you're talking to a 39-year-old man who's had some great relationships, but <clears throat> tends to lose interest one to three years in and yeah. hasn't really taken the plunge, right? Um <laughs> and, and it's probably because he's diving into physical physical intimacy before he's established the emotional intimacy. What are your recommendations? How well, long do you wait knowing what you know right now? If, if, if a bond and marriage and family is something that I want. Okay. Thank you for asking that question. Cause that's called being in your forties where you can start getting a little wisdom. Your female side increases and you realize I'm missing something. Okay. So don't look for the soulmate settle for right now, get in a relationship with a woman, let her push your buttons and practice my techniques of not speaking when you're angry or upset, not ejaculating for at least a a few months with her, but making out and kissing and touching. That's the big reason why men lose attraction. They have sex too soon or they masturbate too soon. You know, you could also be on a date with a girl who's really hot, you're excited, you go home and you masturbate. What you don't know is that you just disconnected from the possibility of deeply falling in love and feeling the power, the power of your, your male side to commit it takes a lot of confidence because doubts come up. Doubts, that's your big thing. Doubts and then loss of interest. And so I talked a lot about keeping your testosterone levels up. I talked a lot about relationships as the way to do it. And in the beginning, don't get so picky with the girl. You don't have to marry her. Just try to be a good guy and don't have sex right away. And read my book, Mars Venus on a Date, and do those things. There's five stages of dating. 
And ironically, you go through three stages before you even do sex, okay? But nobody's gonna wait that long. But there's uh, the stage of attraction, but not having sex. Then you start really liking her, interacting. This is your original Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus book? No, it's another book called Mars, Venus on a Date. Okay, okay, gotcha. So my most powerful book on processing emotions, by the way, is Mars, Venus starting over. So you've got some history and baggage from relationships. So that would be really helpful. And it will bring it back to your childhood where somebody, somebody lost it. Okay. Uh, And without doing therapy, what I do with some people is I say, just imagine being your mother and writing the letter or imagine being your father and writing the letter and you'll get in touch with what you inherited from them and you'll start realizing it's in you. So there's a lot of techniques in there, good therapeutics, self, self-help therapeutics. Uh, that would be really key. But the thing is in dating, go slow, go through the four or five stages as I talk about there. And the most important for everybody listening is this guy, Beyond Mars and Venus. Did you read that before this interview? I have not, I have to be honest, but I'm gonna pick no, no, it up okay, along okay, with the other two right after this. We, we would have a totally different interview. We should do it again after you read this book. I would love to. You know, this talks about the 12 qualities of 10, 12 qualities of masculinity that produce testosterone and 12 that produce estrogen. So it's all about combating this whole force of this estrogen stimulating lifestyle that men have in this high testosterone women and what you can do to convert a woman back to her estrogen side. And when you do that, when you do that, you actually become more masculine. That's the power of this. When I can get a, when I don't react to a woman's negativity, but I learn how to realize compassion and moving her through her emotions, which you can learn how to do in this book, you become like a Superman. Nothing upsets you. Nothing bothers you. And you have this erection that's hard as a rock and lasts as long as you want. So back to quick questions on the sex thing. You start first orgasm here, next one, whole body moving around, whole thing, then nipples and breasts. Sucking on nipples is highly important. I was doing a clubhouse and I had a, a gynecologist doctor out there. It was really funny. We we're all talking about sex. And she goes, yeah, women and sucking my nipples. That's it. That's about, <laughs> it was funny. Her doctor, medical doctor for women say, and suck my nipples. And I, as, but that is such a key thing because she understands the biology of sucking nipples for these hardened women is going to produce oxytocin. They can't even get lubrication down in their vagina until you start sucking on those nipples. And the fridge kiss has to be producing lots of saliva and licking and all that. Then the energy starts going down in the woman breasts. So you circle the breasts first, circle her body, come back, you tease her breasts until you lightly graze over the nipple until the nipple comes up. If her nipples don't come up, don't go down. You got to postpone sex. You got to just do the teenage thing of making out. So you get her desiring because when you do a takeaway from a woman, her desire increases more. Mm -hmm. Just like when a woman takes away from you, you want her more. Okay. But you got to get in. And then when you get in there, but don't even go in there till now you're down might go down on her, do her clitoris. That's another one, little orgasms. But don't work at it for too long. Do it for a little while. Get her going to where she's going to start trying to have her orgasm. You got to notice when she starts trying, she's looking inside, she's trying to feel. Then come back up and suck on her nipples and kiss her and tease her. And she'll say, oh, I want more. I said, what is what if I think? I want more. Not yet. <laughs> Not, not yet. You're the master. You've got to control her body. Not yet. She'll, she may resist a little bit, but she, she's going to long for it. She really wants to feel I'm longing for you to give it to me instead of now I'm giving it to myself. Then you get your hard penis and you start moving it around the labia of her vagina. That's another orgasm in there is the whole tissue around the vagina, two sets of lips. 
and you move around in a circle and go a tiny bit into her vagina. And you, you, and also you can do your clitoris with your penis. Now for some men, because we're so on our estrogen sides, our penis is too sensitive to do that. So I do recommend in the beginning to get some little numbing sensation stuff for your head of your penis. Okay, you can get that online. It's just a numbing stuff. And just do a little bit, work with it. That's a whole discussion on how to do it. I've got that video on my website. I've got so many videos in my wellness store. If you want my biohacking supplements, we got off Parkinson's and dopamine, and but we do want to mention <laughs> NADH. And then I have a superfood shake that I produced to heal my my, dopa, my uh, dopamine, uh, inhibited dopamine function. But now we're to the real stuff, which is the sex. Then, okay, you've given her a little kind of an orgasm with the, you haven't pushed that. Don't let her go for this really intense, orgasm, just give her waves of pleasure when the clitoris, then you go for the opening. So she's longing for you to go in. Then you, each one of these is a little orgasm. Then you, you go into the G spot. Now you first want to learn to feel it. You put your finger in. And if you can see my fingers, it's about to the middle of your finger, like, like this. two knuckles. Yeah. You go to your knuckles and you come in and it's on the back side of her clitoris and you press on it. You press on it. Or you, you do a come hither thing, but also it's the pressure. The clitoris doesn't need much pressure. If she wants more pressure on the clitoris, she really needs a G spot at that point. Or you can circle the clitoris. Just don't give her everything she wants right away. Uh, then she's pulling you in rather than rather than opening up to receive. So it's, it's a dance of the energies. And whenever you get too excited, start over. But now you're inside of her. You put your penis inside and you're just gently going in the opening a little bit. Then you're going a little deeper. Then you might go from behind to get the clitoris. You get a better a G spot that position helps the G-spot go better and find your best positions. I don't want to get too technical on that, but when you start getting excited, push it right away. As soon as you start to see the fear is starting to happen, that I'm ejaculate, push it out. And even today, I tell you, I have a massive fear of ejaculation. Uh, and so I got to, as soon as I even see it creeping up, it may happen. I, I've, and you know, she's saying, don't stop, don't stop. And I'll stop right at that point. Because usually it's when they say don't stop, it's because now they're feeling it's going to happen, but I need to, I need to tighten up to get it. And that's going to keep, that's going to cause you to ejaculate because she's not receiving your energy, you know? And so what I do is, you know, if you have more of a head conversation with her, the only thing I regret when I wrote my book, Mars Venus in the Bedroom has a lot of this in there. And that book is, I told men, I think I said in that book, you know, don't make so many noises. And what I should have said is don't make more noises than her. Never make more noises than her. She should be making the noises. If you're making noises too much and she's not, she's becoming more masculine and you're becoming too feminine. But, I, you know, sometimes I'm making huge noise, but she's making noises too. So it's the male and female energy. Silence is masculinity. Noise is femininity. We want both. You just want to keep, keep getting the right balance. So. I think I covered a lot there. There's, there's a so lot. So much, so much. I mean, th th this has been fantastic. It's so enjoyable, and uh, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna pick up Beyond Mars and Venus and some of the other books you suggested, and maybe we could do uh, a round two and touch on Parkinson's um, and and some other brain hacks and things like that. But you've shared so much of yourself, oh, and and. Yeah. Happy to do it. I'm sure I'm in trouble and missing the next interview, but I had such a good time. That's oh, what happens when you get high. So such, thanks so such much, a Anthony. blast. Thank you so much, John Gray. This has been a pleasure. Appreciate you so much. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Thank you. 
Hey guys, Anthony here, and I just wanted to give you a big biohack thank you for listening. I'm so humbled and grateful that you're spending some of your day with me and the Biohacking Secrets Show. And if you get any value from this episode, or you've gotten value from previous episodes, it would mean the world if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends, family members, and coworkers on social media. That way we can continue to spread this information and positively impact as many lives as possible. And it's also how our podcast gets discovered by more people. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. 